Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your host from SteelersDepot.com, where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora, always lit, talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 14, Episode 72. He's Dave Bryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us here this Friday. Steelers Nation getting ready for Week 18, the final week of the 2023 NFL regular season. Hopefully not the Pittsburgh Steelers' final week, but it could be. They'll need some help to get into the postseason race in action and wildcard weekend. Dave, how you doing? Doing well on this Friday. Exciting weekend uh, coming up. We'll get to watch, obviously, the Steelers play the first game out of the shoot on Saturday. And then, depending on how that goes, well, you know, regardless, there is the path that the Steelers couldn't make the playoffs, even if they lose this game. Uh, the percentage of that path, probably not as likely, but not unthinkable. But if they do win this game, uh, going to we're going to be watching a lot of certain games out there. It might even roll all the way into Sunday night, waiting <laughs> to see the uh, 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 you know the final outcome there. So uh, going to be uh, going to be interesting next few days to say the least. And you know uh, we'll see if this team can get get it done and get into the postseason. Alex, we might have to do two shows today because uh, one show might uh, take up uh, most of the time going over the, uh, the the Baltimore Ravens injury report. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a lengthy list, but the position they've been able to find themselves in because they have essentially nothing to play for in this game. They're resting a lot of their guys, and so we'll talk about that. But you're right, Dave. Have we, we ever, have we ever done a show like that where the Steelers have been on the other side of that? I guess <laughs> uh, there's been, I guess, a couple of week 17s where the Steelers have, have been able to sit some guys uh, uh, over the years uh, uh, there, but it seems like it's been a while. Yeah, I mean, I guess what twenty twenty in that finale, right? That year where they yeah. started eleven and zero, they had I think nothing to play for. Rudolph got the mop up start there in that finale, but it, it's felt like a while. And this this weekend's going to feel like a long one, Dave. As you said, you may not know until game two seventy two, the final one of twenty twenty three in the regular season, whether or not Pittsburgh gets in the playoffs. In simplest terms, if Pittsburgh wins, they need a Jaguars loss to Tennessee or a Bills loss to Miami on Sunday night to get into the playoffs if they lose as you mentioned still i think a, re- a fairly realistic path to get in if they lose this game the colts and texans cannot tie the jaguars must lose to the titans and denver must beat the raiders in simplest terms those are the most likely scenarios for pittsburgh but as you mentioned dave injuries let's dive right on in we'll start with pittsburgh before going to that cvs list that is the ravens injury report for pittsburgh uh, a couple players with game statuses in this one, three players questionable. They are safety Minka Fitzpatrick and his knee, safety Trenton Thompson and his neck slash stinger, and linebacker Landon Roberts with his peck. All three were limited on Thursday. Fitzpatrick and Roberts returning to practice on Wednesday. They were limited Wednesday and Thursday. Roberts told reporters he will play, so it feels like he will go. Fitzpatrick seems to be the real coin flip of wild card in this one, Dave. Yeah, uh, short week. It was hard to kind of predict which way this thing would go, especially with there being that estimated practice day that uh, Minka and 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 uh, uh, Landon Roberts were listed. I think is no practice in 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 that one, but it was only a walkthrough. And 
you know, uh, look, they could obviously use both those guys back on the field and the Landon says he's going to play. We'll see obviously what happens with, 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 with Minka Fitzpatrick. You got to think that if he's, if he's close, he's going to want to get out there and, and, and go, uh, later today is the, uh, cutoff for elevations. Uh, one would think that Miles Jack will be back up again, right? And then we'll watch to see what happens with Eric Rowe. And then if Eric Rowe does get uh, elevated, then you have to wonder, you know, who of maybe Trenton Thompson and Minka might not be uh be you know uh, active on Saturday there. So and obviously if Mika's anywhere close, he would be in uniform. Then you could probably see a guy like Trent Thompson uh, maybe not be elevated, but Trent Thompson could p- p- potentially give you something on special teams. Anyway, uh, I think we'll have a little more clarity by you know four o'clock this afternoon. But even that clarity might bring us down to will or won't Minka suit up. I don't think they'll know that until warmups on Saturday. Um, I'm pretty confident Rose going to get called up. He said he worked even first team practice yesterday because Minka was limited, so not in team uh, sessions. Listen, you could call up and elevate Rowe, and even if he, even if Minka comes out, you know, healthy on Saturday and says I'm perfect, which is not going to happen, but let's assume that for a second. And if you didn't want to dress Rowe, there's no consequence. It's week sure. 18. It's his third elevation. You have unlimited elevations for any playoff game, so you could burn it if you wanted to. So I think I'm pretty confident they're going to elevate Rowe as a just-in-case, and I think he's still got a good chance to see some snaps in this game. I think Mika's going to be a true game-time decision. All right, real quick, uh, what does our other inactives look like? You would think uh, Mitch Trubisky, number three, for the first time this season, right? Right. We know Kenny, the number two, no discussion this week. Pickett is the number two. Right. So uh, uh, you would think Mitch Trubisky would be on the inactive list. Dylan Cook would be on the inactive list. Uh, Blake Martinez probably on the inactive list. If a Landon Roberts is up, is back going again, uh, that's three right there. Darius Rush would probably not get a helmet again. Uh, mm-hmm. That's four. Uh, probably Leal not going to get a helmet again. That's five. Uh, where am I at at six and seven here? That's a good question. Trying to think it through who's been, who are some of the other typical inactives that we may have missed here through this process. Uh, um, Thompson, if he can't go, what uh, one of the safeties probably. Yeah. So one of Minka Thompson and, and row. Right. And then forget who the seventh might be, uh, looking back, but, uh, regardless that should shape out, uh, the the only interesting decision I think, uh, like we just said, would would be whether or not Minka goes, and then, uh, well, I mean, I guess you could say there's a chance Thompson would go as well, right? And Roberts is still technically questionable, although it really sounds so. I, I assume it'll be Roberts and Miles Jack playing the majority of the snaps in this game, right? And then not practicing on Thursday, just to note that was Miles Jack for a personal reason, but no game status. He should be available for Saturday. And then same with Isaac Saymalu, who's they really battled that shoulder injury. I watch him on tape. This dude is hurting a lot, but he's pushing through and, and kudos to him for that. Oh, you know what? They have had, you know, they've had two safeties inactive up until uh, now. So uh, it would still be interesting to find out who that seventh in inactive is because e- even just this past week, obviously it was Kenny Pickett, Minka, and Trenton. 
Mm. Uh, Darius Rush, Dylan Cook, Alandon Roberts, and DeMarvin Leal. So it would probably be Mitch, uh, Darius Rush, Cook, Blake Martinez, DeMarvin Leal, at least one safety. Uh, and yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that plays out with the seventh there. Right, because the two safeties were down in part because they weren't healthy. Right, you know, if they're healthy, what options will Pittsburgh take? Uh, you know, we'll 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 see overall. But I think Rowe will be active in dress, and then Minka, you know, we'll, we'll take it from there. See how he looks in warmups. Uh, going to Baltimore, and speaking of which, a little bit later in the show today, as we always do on Friday, having a Baltimore beat writer that is our friend Jonah Schaefer, who covers the Ravens for the Baltimore Banner. We'll talk with him a little bit later, get his perspective on this Week 18 for the Ravens. Going now to the Ravens injury report, and as you mentioned, David, it is a long list of five players officially ruled out. They are wide receiver Odo Beckham Jr., linebacker Malik Harrison, cornerback Marlon Humphrey, quarterback Lamar Jackson, Tyler Huntley will start under center for the Ravens, uh, defensive back Daryl Worley, and starting guard Kevin Zeitler. In large part, these are due to being able to rest guys and, and having that one seat locked up. We expect others to un, you know, either not play or play very limited snaps. It does not sound like a rookie wide receiver Zay Flowers will suit up in this one. Other guys probably pretty limited, Roquan Smith, Patrick Queen, et cetera. So it's going to be a bunch of backups for Baltimore in this game. Yeah, and once again, they uh, uh, they signed, uh, who was it, Cook, uh, running back, uh uh, Dalvin Cook, yeah, yeah Dalvin yesterday. Cook to the practice squad. It'd be interesting to see if he's one of their elevations uh, on on later today. If they get him in there and, and, and get him a few carries potentially there, uh, they should have you would think fifty five guys to choose from. Uh, how how many do you think at a minimum a, a team in this situation would? would would dress and play at least 43 guys you would think something like that i mean you know you only guys like roquan smith and patrick queen may technically be active and dress but how much do they play is a different story right and then you got to figure they'll need some of those offensive line linemen uh dressed in and potentially playing some but that makes this game kind of hard to preview right because sure. you don't know I mean, look, off, and we'll get into this in a bit. You know, uh, offensive scheme wise, they're going to do what they do for the most part. You know, you're not going to change a lot, lot, lot of that up. I would think in this game, uh, but uh, defensively, you know, how much more vanilla might they make it because of some of the backups being in there, and probably not wanting to show some other stuff on tape potentially there. But it, uh, I, more than anything, it'll be interesting to see how long some of those starters that do have to 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 suit up for this game actually play. And it sounds like Cook is going to be more of a playoff option for them. I don't expect him to play in this game, although I don't know exactly how the running back snaps will look. I think Melvin Gordon's going to see the bulk of the time. I think they're going to be pretty careful with Gus Edwards, and especially after losing Keaton Mitchell earlier this year, they don't want to lose any more running backs. So it's probably more Melvin Gordon, maybe a bit of Justice Hill. Um, But I think Cook's going to be more of uh, suiting up for the playoff race. All right. We'll see how that shakes out later today with their elevations and all, and obviously uh, get into the game and see what they filled out there. It was award week in Pittsburgh as they handed out the MVP award, which we talked about on Wednesday, TJ Watt winning that for the fourth time. Also a couple other ones being handed out since our last show, the rookie of the year, the Joe green great performance award goes to none other than cornerback 
Joey Porter Jr. No surprise there. The chief award, the player with the best relationship with the media, goes to Patrick Peterson. Good and then call. Believe- good call by you there. That was uh, that was a good call by you. <laughs> Thank you. And then I believe uh, this is a national one, I think. So the Bart Starr Award, which goes to, I think, an NFL player that shows the most integrity and just kind of the best professionalism overall, goes to Mika Fitzpatrick. So kudos to him for that. If I'm getting the details of that award correctly, that just came out a little bit earlier on. Friday, Dave, your thoughts on these selections? Uh, look, uh, we talked about Joey Porter Jr. That that seemed like the obvious selection when it came to the Joe Green Award, uh, the media award. I think you presented a good case of why it, why it uh, could should be uh, Patrick Peterson there. Uh, good for him. And, uh, look, this is a guy that however much longer he plays once he uh once he gets done uh with football we're going to see a lot of him on on NFL network or ESPN or 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 one of these shows right because mm-hmm. uh uh it just seems like he's been you know he does the podcast obviously with uh Bryant McFadden and sharpening in his his skills that way uh same way that uh Cameron Hayward's been doing that uh as well so uh and yeah, you know, he's always been out front with the media, even dating back to his time with the Cardinals there. So uh, even though it's his first year here in 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 in, in Pittsburgh, you know, uh, probably shouldn't have been all that big of a surprise uh, with him uh, winning the uh, the Chief Award there. But uh, good for him. And now, yeah, you know, I, I think at some point was it during the Rich Eisen show yesterday? He kind of said that he's got one more got he's got one more year in him. He did confirm he's going to come back in 2024, assuming Pittsburgh wants him. There is that roster bonus due, but I feel very strongly at this point, Pittsburgh will be uh, accepting and picking up that that uh, roster bonus. Yeah, how's that? That That's going to be interesting. I guess you, know, you use him more as a versatile type player at that point. You know, Now that he's uh, shown that he can do some stuff at safety and all like that and uh, gives you the ability to do some interesting things rotation-wise, and I think uh, we even highlighted, you know, the last couple of weeks here that, look, I got to be honest with you, the, through the first half of the season, I wasn't sure, sure. Pat- Patrick Peterson was a slam dunk to return uh, for for uh, for the 2024 season, but he has played uh, well, I don't know what, last four games, five games, something like that uh, there, and you know, I, he even talked about he wasn't you know sure how this move to safety would go, but it, it's kind of reinvigorated him uh, to some degree. So at this point, and him saying now that he's you know uh, you know hedging towards returning uh, or will or plans to return next season, uh, probably the probability factor would be more in his favor of doing so, unless the Steelers just want to you know move on from him. Right. And I don't see any any indication that they want to do that right now, given some of the other, you know, free agency potential losses in Levi Wallace. Not that he's a critical loss, but I, I just think the versatility, if you lose him, you got to go find someone who can do those things and third straight you, you you'd have to find that guy. And it's just too much speculation, too much guesswork there. I don't want to see him get the outside corner reps next year. I think right. it's a it's a little messy and a little layered about what his role could be next season. I think really kind of being more of a full-time slot corner guy and then, you know, some rotational type stuff, but safety can work. I don't have an exact plan in mind right now. I don't think the team does either. It depends on some other off-season moves they do or don't make. It's a little tricky because he's a free safety type. You have Mika Fitzpatrick, who of course mm-hmm. is your free safety. He can play in the box. He was playing in the box more this year. 
but obviously ideally he's better out in, in, in space and playing the post. Um, but point is, I think there's enough there, enough hats that Peterson can wear. He's done a nice job at safety, and he's really come come around to that because he used to be pretty anti-safety. As in, I'm not, I'm not playing safety, otherwise I'm going to just retire because that just seems to be the conclusion that he had. But he, he seems to be open to that move now that, now that he's actually played some safety and seems to be enjoying the communication aspect of it. And, and just frankly, his speed is gone, and so he can't turn and run, and so he's a slot guy. He's a safety type. He can really no longer be a down-in, down-out, outside cornerback. Uh, look, his base salary next year is $3.85 million. Now, there is that $3 million roster bonus that's uh, due on March uh, 17th. But even added in, you're looking at a guy that uh, uh, would cost you cash-wise, not cap-wise, but cash-wise, $6.85 million. And as we've talked about his leadership, it would be nice to have him in that locker room one more year. Uh, for tutelage for Joey Porter Jr. and who knows, uh, you know, obviously this this team will, 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 would hope to get a, a, a healthy Corey Trice uh, back uh, next uh, uh, during the off season. There, you could potentially draft another another young cornerback as well too. So, uh, just from a leadership aspect in that defensive back room, and you know, there's been all this talk this last week as well too about some of the meetings that. Uh, that Patrick Peterson has had with those defensive backs and all as well, too. So it's hard to replace leadership like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you obviously would hope that that a lot of this is rubbing off on a guy like Joey Porter Jr. and probably is setting the tone uh, even just in one season in his rookie season. But it shouldn't it sure wouldn't hurt to have Professor Pete, as uh, <laughs> uh, Joey Porter you know called him, uh, around one more season to just kind of reiterate some of the things that are expected of how to be a pro, how to go through the ups and downs, uh, and especially the, 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 that extra tutelage to whatever new kids come in that room. So once again, you know, you get to the midpoint of this past season, I wasn't, I certainly wasn't thinking it was a slam dunk. I mean, he's been one of those four or five names that I've thrown out on Twitter every couple of weeks of will he, or won't he, uh, uh, last past, you know, the middle of March. Uh, but you know, I think the last four or five weeks of play in, you know, I, in, in him with, with the position moving all like that, it's not hard to imagine him lasting past March 17th now. Right. And the leadership is important and certainly one reason why you would want him back, but his tape has been solid too. He had a really tough first month of the season, the Raiders game took his lumps in that 49ers game, those types of things. But after that, he's, he's played really well. And so, you know, obviously his best days are behind him. We're talking position changes. He's going to be more limited in terms of the, the role he can play. You really can't play on the outside. You got to find somebody who can do that. But the tape of what he's offering at slot corner, at safety, the versatility, I mean, there, there's tangible on-field things he's providing in addition to the intangible off-field leadership things he's able to bring to this defense as well. Yeah, look, uh, your, your, your cornerback room is already going to look a little bit different uh, next year, I mean, James Pierre is not a lot to be back next year, right? Because anyway, he's special teams value mostly uh, anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. Levi Wallace, probably not going to come back, right? Uh, unlikely. And even if he does, we're we're looking for a longer term, better number two type corner. Yeah. And, and Chandon Sullivan may have played himself into a little bit better contract elsewhere, right? It's possible. Yes. Uh, who else do you have in that cornerback room? You got a young kid like Darius Rush, uh, that, 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 
Everett should be back or at least mm-hmm. in the room. Uh, Corey nice. Trice, uh, another young kid that uh, uh, should be back competing. But uh, outside of that, Joey Porter, Joe, Joey Porter Jr., what do you have in that quarterback room? It's Luke Barku still in the practice squad, I think. But obviously, we're, we're talking future contracts there. So, yeah, I mean, you're not you don't have a clear number two outside corner next year. I think that's pretty obvious right now and could be high on their list of needs. Okay, so anyway, uh, good for Patrick Peterson winning that award. Pro Bowlers, Pittsburgh also getting three to, to Orlando in February for the 2024 Pro Bowl. I don't know if they call it the Pro Bowl or the Pro Bowl games. I don't. I, I think they call it Pro Bowl games now and weird all, all, all that kind of stuff. You know what it is? Superstars. <laughs> oh, like the old, uh, the old, the old superstars uh, uh, competition here. Oh, you're going to get me riled up here in, this, <laughs> in, 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 this segment. Hey, I'm a traditionalist, uh, at, 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 at heart. I remember as a kid, every time the pro bowl, cause a lot of times you didn't get to see, cause where, where I lived, you didn't get to see Steeler games every week. Right. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, come, it was a big deal for me as a kid, as a pro bowl. I can remember sitting there and laying out all my football cards of the, of the Steelers that were in the pro bowl. And obviously in, 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 in the seventies there, there was quite a few of them and, and, and all like that. Uh, and then obviously the game has, you know, actually they, they played football, uh, <laughs> uh, during that, uh, during the pro bowl and all like now, uh, I, I watch the pro bowl slash pro bowl games now pretty much because I have to, in case anybody says something, you know, during an interview or something happens and, you know, it's more background noise more, more than anything, especially with what it's come now, come to now with it being, being games and less about football, uh, overall now. Uh, I, I just hate that, that so much emphasis now, is put on the actual selection of it because look, you got several guys that have made extra money uh, because of Pro Bowl selections. Heck, you have fifth year option uh, mm-hmm. uh, amounts tied uh, to it for for these younger players and all like that. And let's face it, it 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 it's a popularity contest and has been for quite a few years now. Now go ahead and rattle, you know, go ahead and obviously and rattle off uh, the Steeder selections this year, and then let's let's talk sure. about them. T.J. Watt, as expected, Miles Killebrew, his first Pro Bowl bid, which is good for him. It's certainly deserved best punt blocker in football. And then Minka Fitzpatrick as well, which was curious, obviously, with the injury and the lack of production. Still a great player, but not exactly a Pro Bowl caliber year. And I know it's easy to sit there and say, oh, well, the fans just voted him in because they just know the name. He was not top 10 in the fan voting. So either the coaches or the players had the the pull and the sway to get him over the hump there. So. Right. It's like it's like Watt last year making it over Alex Highsmith. I mean, after his injury plague season, it's really more reputation based. But frankly, don't blame the fans because they didn't vote the guy in. True. Good point. Because once again, we get the list of uh, top 10 at positions across the league every week throughout the voting process there. Uh, look, T.J. Watt deserving this sure. year. Uh, no, nobody's going to argue with that. Uh, Miles Killebrew, uh, doesn't he lead the NFL in, 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 in special teams tackles? And then obviously has a couple of blocks, uh, this year. So, uh, obviously deserving as a special teams guy, uh, there for him. Good for him. Uh, like, mm-hmm. like to see that, uh, 
Minka's when you get into the gray area there. It is it I mean, let's face it, it's name it's name recognition among the coaches and 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 the players. Now, to Minka's credit, and what were we what were what and and this is the argument uh for him uh being in there despite missing all those games. Man, he made a lot of damn tackles uh before uh before going down injured. And you could definitely see the difference of this team with him and without him. And mm-hmm. uh, when he is on the field, even though he didn't, you know, ha- didn't have any takeaways or anything like that, uh, he was in an impactful player. Uh, you could, I mean, you definitely could use the games missed against him. So uh, I understand why he got in and I am a huge Minka fan. But don't 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 let that go by the wayside here. But I can see why that would bo- bother others. Sure. The only thing is, I'm not sure who he took the spot up. I didn't look at the list right. of potential names, like who got snubbed. Did somebody in the AFC have a great season? You know, Jesse Bates is now in the NFC, and Simmons made it as the starter over Fitzpatrick. So I don't know if there was some other, you know, like in the NFC, Antoine Winfield Jr. getting snubbed by Buda Baker. That that's an obvious miss there. I don't know if that played out as obviously in the AFC quick note on TJ Watt, just briefly uh, six pro bowls in his first seven seasons now becomes the fourth Steeler all time to ever do that. Uh, including uh, him on that list is Marquise Pouncey, Franco Harris and Joe green. So what a great list to be a part of there. TJ Watt, six pro bowls in seven years. And I assume an all pro is going to come his way after the season as well. I'm not going to sit here and say Minka should, you know, Minka, I'll say it. He shouldn't have gotten in. Uh, well, I, I'm going the route of I can understand why people would take issue with it. Yeah, I mean, just a great player. I'm not mad at Minka, obviously, but he got you know he missed half the year and he didn't right. have an, an interception. And just you don't make the Pro Bowl that year. The Pro Bowl is about what you did that season. It was a, you know a, a lost season in a lot of respects for Minka. You know, as you said, the tackling was really important, and he's still what the second leading tackler on this team right now, which is crazy to think about. They've had the injuries at inside backer as well, but um, yeah. That just a little surprising to uh, to see his name there. Uh, one guy that got snubbed on the Steelers is one Chris Boswell. I think that's easy to throw out there. And you talk about reputations, Justin Tucker making it one of five and 50 plus this year, having one of his worst seasons ever. I think he even has a miss from inside 50, which is very rare for him. Um, yeah, I mean, at, at the least, somebody other than Tucker should have gotten in, whether that's Bucker. To me, Boswell certainly deserving of it. Just oh, have two kicker spots. Why only have one kicker and punter and long snapper slot? Who cares? We'll open it up a little bit so more guys can get in. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, you you knew that was the way this was going to go with that position, though, right? Yeah. Again, that's was he first in fan voting? Do we even know where he was? Tucker was in the uh, the official the official fan voting, which makes up one third of the actual selections it's coaches a third players a third and then fans one third of the voting i don't know if we have that information on hand right now i put put that uh chart in the post there for you so in the uh, pro bowl yeah yeah i added that uh top 10 in there so if you can look at that real quick okay i imagine he was probably closer to the top but i don't have official converse uh, uh confirmation on that so let me try to Okay, I can pull it up here if my computer will act right here. Uh, Let's see here. I thought I put it in there. Yeah, it's not in the actual selection post, but I don't know. Okay. 
let's I, I found it in another one. I know important information. Uh, he was looks like number fifth, number five on the okay. list, but that's overall in the AFC looks like he was third. So that third in the fan voting in the AFC. Okay. All right. All right. Anyway, so it's Watt, Killebrew, and Fitzpatrick. Hopefully none of them get to go because they're playing in the Super Bowl, but that seems to be unlikely. should mention George Pickens unhappy about his Pro Bowl snub, talking about snubs. He took to Instagram and uh, expressed some language that he was not happy with that. And Matthew Marks, you made a good point. Pickens was unhappy to be uh, to not be selected in the Pro Bowl last year. And so, <laughs> I, listen, I, I appreciate the competitive spirit. We're not having a whole Pickens drama thing here. It's fine. It's just one post. But, you know, the guys that got in over him, Keenan Allen, Jamar Chase, Tyreek Hill, Amari Cooper, they were all more deserving if you look at their production over George Pickens. Let's see. We've got another week until the All-Pro, right? Is that when the All-Pro was? Like, last, year was the, last year was January 13th. Okay. So right after the season. Week all after. right. Uh, TJ is going to be All-Pro, right? First team All-Pro. Yes. Who else? That may be it. Because Tucker, based on how the voting went, Tucker should not be all pro. I don't know how they're going to handle all pro for for kicker. Uh, but TJ probably. You think uh, Minka gets all no. pro? I, again, I hadn't looked at the list of other safeties, but I don't know how Minka, who played in ten games, didn't pick off a pass, gets an all pro nod. I just don't know how you get the uh, deserving honor of that. Uh, any, nobody on offense, right? Yeah. Nobody on offense. And so, so TJ Watt might be the only first team all pro. I mean, I guess you could be Minka. I mean, maybe he makes second team. I, who, who are the other top AFC safeties? I mean, Simmons should make it. Simmons probably makes it over, over Minka as he did for the pro bowl. Beyond that, I, I just hadn't sat down and, and right. taken a look at the list again. Jesse Bates is at a conference and, and that maybe helps clear a path a little bit overall, but we'll see. All right. I mean, Boss could make it. Boss should be an all-pro to me. Yeah, yeah, he should be. So we'll uh, we'll, we'll, we'll let you know. All right, Dave, anything from any players that have spoken? Not as many uh, interesting comments since our last show. I think Alanid Roberts spoke. Miles Killebrew spoke. Uh, maybe some others have spoken with the media. But uh, any comments I'm missing that caught your attention? I don't think anything earth-shattering caught my eye unless you've got something you want to discuss that anybody said. Nope, nothing top of mind right now. It's actually probably a good chance here to take a pause, and we're going to come back with our beat writer of the week. And this week covering the Ravens is Jonas Schaefer. Please follow him on Twitter at Jonas underscore Schaefer. That's S-H-A-F-F-E-R. Covers the Ravens for the Baltimore banner. Had him on earlier in the year, bringing him back. Now let's take a pause and come back with Jonas. And welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. And again, as mentioned earlier in the show, have a Baltimore Ravens beat writer for the second time this season, getting you ready for this Week 18 matchup, the season finale. That man is Jonas Schaefer. He covers the Ravens for the Baltimore banner. You can follow him on Twitter at Jonas underscore Schaefer. Jonas, thanks so much for being on the show today. Got to be back on for you. How are you doing? Doing really well and really excited for this game. Probably more excitement in Pittsburgh than Baltimore. Baltimore is kind of like, all right, let's get this game done and over with and get ready to fully focus on the playoffs. But uh, let me start off here with Lamar Jackson, of course, being out of this game, uh, resting him, rightfully so. How much will change without Lamar in this game? I know Tyler Huntley is cut from a similar cloth. He's not new to Pittsburgh. He's going to start 
his fourth game against the Steelers this weekend. It's the same number as Lamar started in, in his career against the Steelers. But does this, this schematically, do things change at all, given that some of the stars offensively will either rest or have limited action? Schematically, I don't think you can afford to make too big of a change. Uh, you know, you do wonder about that step down in run threat from Lamar to Tyler Huntley. Like Huntley wasn't all that dynamic as a runner as he had been in you know twenty nineteen in uh, twenty twenty in twenty twenty one. I'm not sure if he was dealing with any injuries, but his yards per carry really took a tumble, and uh, it didn't have an effect too dramatically on that running game. I mean. You know, you remember, Alex, just how well the Ravens did uh, with J.K. Dobbins in Pittsburgh last year. Were able to mm-hmm. grind out a win without Lamar. Uh, I, I don't know if, you know, in this new era of Todd Munkin, they still have that, dyn- you know, dynamism even with Lamar out of the lineup. Uh, but, you know, you hope that Tyler Huntley can be at least a little bit more, uh, you know, spring-loaded uh, as a runner than he was last year, which would definitely help him. Uh not in just in the design run game, but in the uh, the scramble game as well. Uh, you know that could be certainly a factor with the the Steelers' edge rush. But uh, that also that also brings me to another point, which I'm really excited to see how it plays out. Which is just how much more quickly uh, Tyler Huntley gets rid of the ball compared to Lamar. Uh, you look at some of the next gen stat stuff. Lamar is like outside the top thirty in average time to throw, and granted, mm-hmm. a lot of that is uh, him. You know rolling around the pocket, him scrambling, him breaking tackles, making plays, hanging back behind the line of scrimmage as he looks for guys to get open downfield. Tyler Huntley, very small sample size, 10 dropbacks, nine attempts, average time to throw of, I think, 2.12 seconds, which is a quarter of a second faster than Tua, who is Mm. the number one quarterback in the NFL in terms of average time to throw. So you're talking about a exceptionally quick strike quick trigger passer granted you know like i said the small sample size you don't want to make too much of a big deal of it but he is a guy who unlike lamar does not typically uh you know get to that second or third read he, he does not typically push the ball downfield not that he hasn't in his career his, his arm strength is clearly not what lamar's is but i'm just excited to see his game as kind of a photo negative of lamar's because even though they're, they're both athletic guys running the same kind of system how they actually operate in the pocket uh, in a lot of ways could not be more different. That's a great point. Now that's good information there. No, the news is relatively fresh, but yesterday afternoon it was announced that Baltimore signing Dalvin cook seems like it's for their playoff run. I assume he's not going to be a factor in this game, but what was the motivation to sign him? Is that in some response to Keaton Mitchell being lost? I know there are different skill sets, Mitchell being a big play kind of guy, but what was the reason and the value of bringing in a Dalvin cook? Yeah, I mean, the Ravens haven't commented on it publicly, so I, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I, mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say that, you know, they're just trying to leave no stone unturned in uh, their pursuits of a Super Bowl title. Um, you know, Melvin Gordon is is RB3 right now. He had a, a solid enough game on Sunday against Miami. Uh, but, you know, Jake Funk, uh, former Maryland guy, is uh, the, the practice squad running back, hasn't, you know, been elevated to a game yet. I guess the thought is, you know, if these guys who are signing for the playoffs don't count against the salary cap, then you might as well just take a gamble on a guy like Dalvin Cook. Uh, personally, I don't see him being, you know, maybe even all that much better than than uh, Melvin Gordon. You know, his 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 stats are terrible this year. His like, you know, rushing yards over expectation have fallen, 
every single year now for, I think, four straight seasons. He just doesn't have the same juice that he did when he was at Minnesota. And I know he's like, you know, a year or so removed from a 1,000-plus yard season with the Vikings. But still, um, I'm pretty down on what he could be in terms of an improvement over any of those guys in the Ravens rotation. But, you know, uh, that Jet situation was pretty toxic. One of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. One of the worst run-blocking units in the NFL. You come to Baltimore, uh, uh, maybe you get a little bit more juice in the tank. Besides Lamar, I've not yet heard Harbaugh comment on anybody else who's going to sit other than the final injury report. Beyond those two elements, is there anybody else you expect to either not play in this game, as in not dress, or have their snap count severely curtailed? Guys like Roquan Smith, Patrick Queen, Kyle Hamilton, Zeitler, etc. Can you give us a perspective on some other guys that may not go in this one? Yeah, on offense, I'll be curious to see what they do at the tackle situation. Uh, Ronnie Stanley at left tackle, Morgan Moses at right tackle, both had a, a pretty solid game on Sunday against a, a very, very fierce Miami pass rush. But, uh, you know, Ronnie has dealt with knee and ankle injuries this season that have uh, limited him uh, from, you know, being the guy that he used to be. I mean, I'm sure Steelers fans will remember. It was a game against the Steelers where he first hurt that ankle uh, mm-hmm. one week after signing that huge, huge extension when he was probably one of the best two or three tackles in the NFL. Um, you know, he, he's still kind of trying to put himself in a position where he can be at close to full strength of the playoffs. So I imagine the Ravens won't throw him out there for, you know, anywhere close to 50, 60, 70 snaps. Same thing with Morgan Moses. He, he's uh, dealt with like shoulder slash pec stuff this year. You would imagine that they would want to get some of those younger guys, give them some looks uh, out wide and, you know, trust that with Tyler Huntley's quick release, it might not make too much of an issue with, you know, Watt and Highsmith coming off the edge. Uh, Zay Flowers, doubtful for this game. I doubt we see him line up as they kind of let that foot, let that calf get fully healthy. Um, Kevin Zeitler already ruled out at right guard. Uh, Tyler Linderbaum, Pro Bowl center. I'm curious to see just how much he plays because I think you do want that guy in the middle handling all the pre-snap protections for your quarterback. Uh, but also he's such an important part of what they do. You know, do you play him for more than a half, more than three quarters, TBD? Uh, and then on defense, I think we'll probably see a more equitable distribution of snaps so that, you know, guys like Justin Matabike, Michael Pierce do not play as much as they have been. Um, they're not anywhere close to, you know, some of the 80%, 90% snap shares that you see some defensive linemen around the NFL get. But mm-hmm. you obviously want those guys uh, pretty well rested for the playoffs. At linebacker, uh, you know, you mentioned that Alex. I'm curious to see what they do with Roquan and Patrick Queen. Um, both have dealt with injuries. Both have noticeably struggled against some of the gap scheme, you know, power play type stuff that maybe is a reflection of those injuries and just their unwillingness, not unwillingness, but their hesitance to to put their body in the line of fire of a, you know, 315-pound pulling linemen. So mm-hmm. it, it would make sense to me if those guys only play for a quarter, a half, you know, kind of you, you treat this game like a preseason in terms of the amount of reps. And then the, in the secondary, you know, I, I think Kyle Hamilton, even though he was limited on Thursday, even though he looked fine, relatively fine moving around the field, um, he missed Sunday's game against the Dolphins. I would not be shocked if he missed uh, uh, Saturday's game against Pittsburgh just because he is so, so important to what the Ravens do. He's tweaked that knee a couple times now. Um, you don't want him at anything less than anywhere close to full strength for whoever it's going to be in that divisional round. Uh, so I would imagine that they rest him instead or that they rest him as well. And 
Um, you know, it, it's kind of a guessing game on the rest of the secondary because Ronald Darby didn't practice all week as he was dealing with an illness. Our Darius Washington, who started week one as the slot corner, um, hasn't played since week one because of a pectoral tear, I believe. But mm-hmm. he was designated to return. He might be uh, you know, activated for this one. Uh, Brandon Stevens was a full participant in practice Thursday uh, after missing Sunday's game against the Dolphins. But he's dealing with an ankle injury. He's like the most well-traveled cornerback in the NFL in terms of like yards actually run on the field this season. So you wonder if this will be a game where he plays more than a series or two, maybe a quarter, uh, and just have him, you know, well and rested for that playoff. So it's it's so many spinning plates to really consider for the Ravens and their coaches. Sure. I do not envy the uh, you know the balance of trying to finally get a win against the Steelers versus finally getting ready, uh, getting everyone ready for the playoffs. But uh, they're going to have to figure out a way to to do it. And maybe if Pittsburgh takes a huge early lead and uh, you know really forces the Ravens' hands to rest all the guys who really matter, uh, then that'll make it easy for them to to figure out what to do. I will sign up for that. That is for sure. Uh, but 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 ultimately, as to your point, they have to field a team. I mean, they, you know, you have to put yeah. you know, those guys out there. So while this game, quote unquote, doesn't mean anything for Baltimore and from a playoff standpoint, it does not. It means a lot for these young guys that may see expanded roles. I heard somebody tell me that Ben Cleveland may be a big game for him, a chance to start with Zeitler being out. Who is this a big game for in terms of backups that will have a new opportunity to really get some serious playing time? Yeah, Zeitler started on Sunday against Miami, and uh, sorry, Ben Cleveland started for Zeitler on Sunday and, and did pretty well. Um, you know, he's a th- third-year guy, former third-round pick who has not really lived up to expectations. I- I'm not really sure how much of a great fit he is in Todd Munkin's run schemes, but we'll we'll see on that. Uh, elsewhere, Rashad Bateman, former first-round pick, has not had the season that he would have liked, but you know he's a guy who is tantalizing i think to a lot of ravens fans because every single week some guy on pff puts out a chart showing who gets the most separation in the nfl and it is always rashad bateman toward the bottom right quadrant because he is getting separation but he is not getting production Mm. um he he had a a pretty nice game uh against the dolphins you know a handful of catches over 50 60 yards finally getting out of this zone where it's like three catches for 35 yards so he could be a guy who it would not surprise me if he gets 10 targets and over 100 yards he, he just has that kind of potential he's had really nice games with tyler huntley starting as the quarterback um you know elsewhere uh you know you look at the the, the right tackle uh daniel falele second round guy huge hulking dude you know australian who's made the the pivot to football uh doesn't have the foot speed typically to handle a lot of speed rushers but typically once he gets engaged with guys does a pretty good job of locking them down and then you have you know some of the guys in the rookie class uh, who have not had a chance to play a whole lot this year trenton simpson third round pick uh you know even faster than patrick queen but has has really had a a tough time getting onto the field defensively i think he's played just 20 snaps this year because roquan and because pq have played both over i think 98 percent of the defensive snaps this year so interesting to see him interested to see tavius robinson um, another fourth round outside linebacker who's been a rotational guy, but has not had to play more than 10 to 15 snaps over the past two months or so. So uh, not a lot of guys that I think Steelers fans would recognize besides, you know, some of the kind of free agent signings like a Ronald Darby mm. or Rocky scene, both of whom had their roles go up and down this year, depending on, on who's healthy in that Ravens secondary. But, you know, the Ravens have a great coaching staff. They've done a great, 
job of putting guys who you wouldn't think would be capable of stopping superstars in a position in a position to succeed. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see just how well they have these guys ready with so many kind of countervailing interests at play for this game. You set me up perfectly there, Jonas, because I was going to ask about DC Mike McDonald and what he's done to take this Ravens defense to even greater heights. Baltimore always has a really strong defense, but I think McDonald's taking them to a, a new level. What's made him so effective and what beyond him being a really strong defensive mind makes him somebody likely to receive some head coaching looks this offseason cycle? I think it's just the fact that he's doing all this at such a young age. I mean, you really have to kind of scratch your head and think who, how many guys at age 36, which is Mike's age, have been able to have this kind of two-year run of defensive success. I mean, you look at someone like D'Amico Rines, who's been an instant smash success in, in Houston, coming off what he did in the 49ers, uh, another guy under age 40 who was able to uh, not really need the bumps and bruises and the, the the hard losses that you can kind of accrue as a first-time defensive coordinator to understand how other offenses around the NFL want to work, how they want to operate. Um, the, the fact that Mike's been able to come in and, and lead this defense to, you know, really new heights, heights not even seen, I think, under Wink Martindale mm-hmm. has been really impressive. Um, what he's done is is just be able to, you know, have this defense survive in a too high shell, basically, uh, as, as often as you can. And when you do that, you know, you are obviously giving up some uh, integrity up front in, in the run defense. And we've seen good teams like the Steelers in the fourth quarter of that week five game uh, be able to take advantage of that. We, we saw the 49ers take advantage of that. We saw the Dolphins take advantage of that. But you look at the, the Ravens DVOA, I, I still think they're top 10 in run defense. And when you're able to play with those two high safeties and really put a lid on, you know, what opposing quarterbacks can do in taking deep shots downfield, then you really do a number on uh, opponents' big play potential. I mean, the Ravens, I haven't checked in recently, but for the first half, first three quarters of the season, were at the top of the NFL, like the number of 20-plus air yard uh, pass plays completed. It's just they keep everything in front of them. They're able to, you know, with their simulated pressures, with their creepers, they're able to uh, create free runners at the quarterback with just four guys. Sometimes, you know, they're able to get to him with, with just three guys. So you put all that together, you really have – you know, the, the perfect type of guy to limit the modern offense, because if you can keep seven guys in pass coverage and only need four to get a pressure on the quarterback under three seconds, then you are going to be living right as a defensive coordinator. And obviously the Ravens have a lot of great talent. Roquan Smith was really a skeleton key that has unlocked this defense and what it could do schematically. But, you know, to get a career year out of a guy like Brandon Stevens, who we didn't even know if he'd be playing outside cornerback to, you know, to turn Jadevian Clowney, uh, Kyle Van Noy, turn back the clock on their careers, you know, get Justin Matabike to a 13 sack guy. Um, you know, that's no accident that this, this staff led by Mike McDonald has really done a good job of figuring out what this defense does well, does what it does uh, best and, and uh, putting themselves in, in positions to succeeds with really innovative game plans. A couple more questions here. Speaking with Jonas Schaefer, who covers the Ravens for the Baltimore banner, Justin Tucker, just one of five from 50 plus yards this year. His long is 50. Is there any reason for, by his lofty standards, he seems to be struggling this year, especially from distance. 
Oh, well, you'd have to ask the Pro Bowler voters if they if they think he's struggling. <laughs> Steeler fans are salty. Boswell getting snubbed. I, I mean, I totally get it. It's it's totally fair. I think a little bit of helmet scouting there with uh, mm-hmm. with Justin getting into the Pro Bowl, but um, you know, he some of those misses have been from longer than you know fifty five, fifty seven. Sure. I think he he started the year missing a fifty nine yarder. There was a sixty one yarder. Um, he he had like a bad miss against the Chargers. In prime time in that game that they were fortunately able to overcome um I, I don't know how much you can you know say how much you want to attribute to just him getting older uh you know it was interesting that the ravens had a chance to kick a field goal from like 51 52 53 thereabouts on sunday against miami but um they went forward on fourth and seven instead that was the nice likely catch and run touchdown, touchdown right? for, for isaiah yeah. likely yeah and we asked john post game about why he decided to keep the offense on the field in such a you know disadvantageous position and you know, he said oh well the wind was ripping, whipping around the stadium and you know we didn't really like you know what that you know how that uh would would factor into justin tucker's kind of kicking calculus so you know justin wanted to take that kick he's always advocating for him to be on the field to, to make to take those kind of kicks but the ravens went with the offense instead which was kind of a surprise because john has typically not been overly aggressive on fourth down this year so um I still think, you know, based on his current form, his recent form, he, he does look like the Justin Tucker of old, but it, it is a little bit disconcerting um, knowing that at the you know, over the first half of the season, he was not anywhere close to, you know, the automatic Justin Tucker that Steelers fans <laughs> have known to grow and hate. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't think he's missed a kick in Pittsburgh since basically his rookie year, if ever. I forget exactly what the stat is, but it's incredible. Um, so, It'll be interesting to see how the Ravens treat him because it should be some rainy conditions on Saturday. Uh, it's going to be a mess to to play in, to, to say nothing of how it's going to be to kick in. So uh, if I'm the Steelers, I'm you know expecting the, the, the regular Justin Tucker uh, and being pleasantly surprised if it's not. But going into the playoffs, you do have this uh, you know, kind of worry in the back of your head. You know, can you count on him to nail a 53-yarder in the third quarter and a 51-yarder in the fourth to, to put away a team? Maybe it's an obvious question to ask, given that Baltimore's the number one seed, widely regarded as the best team in football. But is anything less than a Super Bowl win going to be a disappointment for this team when all is said and done? Uh, I'm, I'm sure if you put, you know, those guys, if I hooked them up to a lie detector, they would probably say Super Bowl victory. I think I would say personally, it's just Super Bowl appearance. I mean. This has been a franchise. I don't need to tell Steelers fans about the the uh, the kind of you know dissonance of getting to the playoffs but not actually doing anything and what <laughs> what it means for yeah. front row seats in that but, show. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but you know they have you know in 2019 they were the best team in football. Everyone was picking them to go to the Super Bowl to win the Super Bowl. They were 10 point favorites against the Titans, and then they fell flat on their face. You know it's been a while since they've had a postseason where they've won more than one game um which uh you know with joe flacco and john harbaugh in those early days you could usually count you know every once in a while on a nice little run to the divisional round from the wild card round or excuse me to the championship game round from the wild card round or you know just make it to the super bowl together so i i think i don't want to say anyone's legacy is on the line because john harbaugh has you know shown himself to be one of the nfl's best coaches but uh you could argue that Lamar might never have a team as well-rounded as this, where it is a top two defense, a top two or three special teams, and 
uh, a, a very talented offense. I mean, obviously Lamar, you know, the hope is that like with Mahomes and Josh Allen, you know, he is going to be a powerful enough force that this team should be in the playoff discussion every year, but he needs to, you know, carry this team at least uh, to the Super Bowl. Um, you know, maybe some fans will be content with the AFC Championship game because he's never been as far as that round. But, you know, the the vibes are good in Baltimore. And if, you know, Cleveland, say, comes into uh, Baltimore in the wild card in the divisional round and knocks them off, then there's definitely going to be hell to pay for a lot of guys because uh, this is starting to feel like a year where um, things are looking pretty good for them in terms of that AFC path. Sure. Imagine if Joe Flacco comes into Baltimore and beats exactly. Baltimore. What a what a storyline that would be. It just feels like this is and, and winning a Super Bowl obviously is so difficult regardless of seeding. But you know, Mahomes and the Chiefs are struggling. You know, Burrow's not around to be that potent offense. Buffalo's not even guaranteed to make the playoffs as of this moment. Feels like this is the lane, the opportunity for Baltimore to get there and win it. You you kind of fall into one of my one of my last questions here, Jonas. Is there a weakness for this Baltimore team? Because offensively, defensively, special teams, coaching, I mean, maybe some general health concerns, but, you know, who's healthy at this point in the season? What is the weakness for this team? Basically, if this team does not win the Super Bowl, why would that occur? Why would that not happen? Probably because they, you know, are gashed by a good running team. Um, You know, it hasn't mattered yet. Uh, Well, it hasn't mattered really since the start of the season. The, The Colts had a... When they beat the Ravens, had a nice ground game. The Steelers, you know, even though that first half was really tough sledding, they turned things up after the after the first half. The Browns uh, did a nice job when they beat the Ravens in Baltimore of you know taking advantage of those two high looks and you know running into those relatively light boxes. Um, so I, I think that's probably the big concern on defense. Assuming that Marlon Humphrey is healthy, assuming that Kyle Hamilton is healthy, you feel good about where that pass defense is. And then on the offensive side of the ball. Um, you know, you, you just wonder, is Lamar, is the Lamar of old, the Lamar who statistically has been one of the NFL's worst quarterbacks in terms of playoff efficiency, uh, a thing of the past, you know, is that shedded like a old skin with the, you know, separation from Greg Roman? Mm-hmm. Is the, the the rejuvenation with Todd Munkin enough to cast Lamar in this new light as a, you know, a playoff savior rather than a you know, playoff, al- uh, playoff albatross, uh, you know, maybe two harsh words, but he has not been especially good in the playoffs. He's had some bad luck with injuries and bad teams and, you know, uh, bad weather, but he needs to, you know, this is put up our shut up time for him. Definitely. And then uh, I guess elsewhere around him on that offense, you, you do wonder, you know, if he goes against a very, if the Ravens go against a very top tier pass rush and Ronnie Stanley is hurt and can't anchor, if Morgan Moses is dealing with something with that upper body and, you know, does not do a good job of keeping guys off his chest, then that offensive line is going to be compromised because Lamar loves nothing more than, you know, getting to his second read, to his third read, making guys miss in the backfield. And if that pass rush uh, is getting to him and throwing the rhythm off, uh, you wonder, you know, can this offense be as consistently good out of structure as it has been during this nice little hot streak? Because, you know, typically, you know, you, you have to make plays when you get that drop and find the open receiver. But if mm-hmm. Lamar is playing with a half field read because he's being flushed out of the pocket time and time again, then chances are the offense is not going to be as successful as it was Sunday or against the 49ers or against the Rams. So um, you, you just wonder, you know, if that offensive line is compromised in a couple significant ways, how much is that going to throw Lamar off schedule, not just in the run game, 
with handoffs, but also uh, in dropbacks as well. My last question for you, Jonas. I'm sure you've been burning the midnight oil trying to predict this game, worrying about who's going to win between Pittsburgh and Baltimore. But if you're inclined to give a prediction for this one, we always ask our guests to uh, to do so. If not, just keys to the game for a Baltimore victory, even though, again, I know it doesn't matter nearly as much as typical Steelers-Ravens games. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm a bit of a prisoner of 2019, Alex, and that I just keep thinking about that team going into – that game against the Steelers in the regular season finale in Pittsburgh, uh, in Baltimore, uh, I think kind of yucky weather in that one mm-hmm. as well. You know, starting RG3, who was not great in that game, but the Ravens got enough from their run game, from their defense, from their special teams to win relatively comfortably. I don't think if this is going to be a Ravens win, it will be comfortable. I, I, in our picks on the Baltimore banner today, I believe I picked Ravens 20, Steelers 17. It's not because I don't think this iteration of Pittsburgh is a good team. I just think that wherever games are weird games and, you know, weird stuff happens uh, when two teams that know each other as well as they do get together. And, uh, you know, I think if the Ravens can do a good job of gumming up the works for the Steelers ground game, which might be, you know, harder said than done uh, because of we don't really know who's going to be playing up front, um, then uh I like what they can do defensively. Uh, I don't know how well Mason Rudolph is going to handle all the pre-snap disguises that Mike McDonald is probably going to throw at him. Uh, you know, don't know, uh, you know, if if Pickens is going to be as splendid as he's been recently, even if it is some of these Ravens backups covering him because Brock Hassin, Ronald Darby both had really nice games on Sunday against Tyreek Hill and, and that Dolphins passing core. And then on, on the other side of the ball, you know, like I mentioned early on with, with Tyler Huntley, I just, Lamar has taken, uh, I think he he took a snap, he's taken a sack, uh, basically one of every nine dropbacks against Pittsburgh as a starter, mm. which is just absurd. Uh, he's taken 20 sacks total in four games. If Tyler Huntley is getting rid of the ball, if these running backs are, you know, getting four or five yards of carry, which uh, with, with, the, with this interior might be a challenge, especially if some guys are missing then uh, I, I think you can at least count on one or two touchdowns. And um, I don't think this is going to be a high-scoring game unless this Ravens defense just completely implodes. So I just think that with the advantage of home field advantage, um, I'm sure the Ravens fans will be nice and liquored up with a 430 kickoff. <laughs> um, uh, John's probably, you know, burning the midnight oil, to, to borrow your phrase, of, you know, finally getting a, a breakthrough win against Pittsburgh because it's two straight losses. And I think six of seven uh, overall for, for, for the Ravens against Pittsburgh. So he's determined to, you know, win something for his pride and turn the tide in this rivalry game. Obviously it doesn't matter in the big picture, uh, assuming no one gets hurt, but uh, I just think that it, it's, it's really tough to apply logic and reason to a Raven Steelers game. I mean, you just look at week sure. five, the Ravens were, the, the better team that first half and only came at it with what, like a, a field goal advantage and it ended up costing them in the second half. So uh, no result would shock me, frankly, aside from a, a Ravens blowout victory. But uh, I just think that the vibe around this team and the coaching on this team are good enough that I'm relatively comfortable picking a slight Ravens win in this one. Fair enough. And the weirdest part is Pittsburgh, if they lose this game, could still make the playoffs, despite being out of the playoff picture as of this moment. If they lose, and then if Denver wins, if Jacksonville loses, and the Colts and Texans don't tie, Pittsburgh gets in. So it's a it's a wild week 18 to be talking with Jonas Schaefer here for the Baltimore Band. You can follow him on Twitter at Jonas underscore Schaefer. 
Jonas, thanks so much for joining us today. Appreciate it and uh, enjoy the game on Saturday. Thanks, Alex. And if I can add one thing, I, mm-hmm. I don't know that Ravens fans would even mind a, a Steelers win because there is a world in which the Steelers win and I think the Jaguars win as well. And if Buffalo loses to Miami, right. then that knocks the Bills out of the playoffs altogether. And, you know, Buffalo say what you will about their injuries, about their shortcomings, but they are number three in DVOA right now. And I think the Ravens would much rather have them out of the playoff picture than, you know, have to know that there's a possibility that they might face them in the divisional round or the AFC championship game. So uh, even though it might be a bitter pill to swallow, if a Steelers win means that Buffalo is taken out of circulation in the playoffs, it it might not be uh, the worst thing in the world for the Ravens. So tell Harbaugh that all 11 Ravens defenders should just lay down <laughs> on the snap each time and allow Pittsburgh to win this one 70 to nothing. We'd appreciate that. But it's a, it's an important point. Yeah, Buffalo, what a, I mean, they could be the two seed. They could be out of the playoffs. I mean, that is how crazy exactly. the team is. So thank you again, Jonas. Appreciate it. Thank you, Alex. Appreciate you having me. And welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. And again, our special thanks to Jonas Schaefer for the Baltimore banner, giving his thoughts on the Ravens. Follow him on Twitter at Jonas underscore Schaefer. And you probably noticed by the time you listened to the uh, interview, but uh, it was just me recording that when Dave had some technical computer gremlins today. And so it was just me. So that's uh, the reason why you only heard Dave. But we still thank Jonas for all of his time. Absolutely. So uh, uh, certainly do had him on twice this year and uh, he was probably excited, uh, I imagine, to talk to you because uh, I think he had said that they they had the day off today uh, covering the team and all like that, obviously, the day ahead of the game. So uh, make sure to shout out uh, Jonas on, on Twitter and let him uh, know that you heard him. Yeah, again, that's Jonas underscore Schaefer, S-H-A-F-F. E-R. All right, Dave, let's you and I preview this game in your right. Even doing the scouting report was difficult to, to write about because what do you say? What do you expect? I mean, schematically, they should be the same personality offensively, defensively, but without a clear plan of who's going to play and some of the rotations and those types of things. It's really kind of more about Pittsburgh taking care of their business and, and being detailed and not being sloppy than it is maybe about matchups when it comes to Baltimore. There is still some element of that, of, of course, but less so than a typical week. So starting with the Ravens offense, no Lamar, doubtful on Zay Flowers, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. ruled out, the tackles may not play, the starting guard's going to be out in Zeitler, Tyler Huntley starting, but he's not new to Pittsburgh. He's going to make his fourth start against the Steelers. That's the same as Lamar has had against Pittsburgh in his career. So seeing Huntley is basically like seeing Lamar from an experience standpoint. The talent standpoint is different, but they're, they're similar guys. They're athletic, they're mobile, um, but Jonas did say that Huntley gets the ball out much quicker than Lamar. So that's going to be kind of one big difference in this game. It'd be harder to get pressure on Tyler Huntley because that ball is going to come out in pretty rapid fashion. Here's the good thing. They've played Huntley so much over the last couple of years, right? Because Lamar's missed uh, time and all like that. At least they they have tape on him against them specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not like you're you're dealing with a backup coming in that that you haven't seen a lot of. Uh, they have specifically seen a lot of them. When you look at this game, and when I was rolling back through the all twenty two, uh, uh, I, I was on both sides of the football. I was thinking to myself, you know, all, 
offense is probably a little bit more easier to kind of predict of, 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 of schematic wise, because you are who you are. It's not, you know, a, a lot of these teams run the same thing and they stay true to their identity. I think, you know, we talked about ahead of the last meeting, they run a lot of the bash uh, concept and all like that. They'll pull, they pull a couple of those linemen. They like to run that outside zone uh, stuff. Uh, I think one thing that, that jumped out to me on going back last week and watching that Dolphins tape, man, the, the, the Dolphins play, played a lot of man. It seemed like in that game and boy, did they have some coverage bust in there uh, as well too. And they did a lot. The, the Ravens did a lot of good things with getting guys rubbed off. Uh, man, a couple of those early throws, first, first half down, down the right side to wide open guys, uh, getting rubbed off one, I think was to Justin Hill for, uh, for a touchdown. I think another was to flowers, uh, down that side. And it, it, it just, the, the dolphins did not go into that game schematically ready, uh, on, on the defensive side of the football there that stuck out to me. Now the Ravens do what they do otherwise, uh, with that running game, uh, pull up, getting those offensive linemen on the move, uh, using some of that misdirection stuff with the bash. And you don't know who the quarterback's going to keep it or if the wide receiver coming across is going to keep it, or if they just hand it off to the running back in, in, in certain uh, situations in those. So you're going to see a lot of that again uh, with them. Uh, in other words, I think they are, I think they're going to be who they are on on the offensive side of football. There, I would expect the way this 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 Steelers defense has kind of been forced to morph over the last several weeks. There, I don't know if you want to play a lot of man against the Ravens, particularly uh, uh, in 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 this game where you could, you're going to see some backup wide receivers out there and 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 all in a. Uh, still mobile quarterback in Huntley. So I, once again, for like the, I don't know, third, fourth game in a row here, I expect the Steelers to be uh, zone heavy uh, on defense and focus. That way they can focus specifically on shutting down the run and B, make sure you always have eyes on Huntley. Yeah, I think zone eyes can help. Although if that ball comes out quickly, you don't want Huntley to get into a rhythm. You may want to contest some of those, you know, shorter, you know, rhythm passes, three-step drop, five-step drop, play some tighter man coverage. Um, I think getting your hands up will be important for the D-line for TJ Watt because if that ball is going to come out, as Jonas said, in like 2.1, 2.2 seconds, hard to get after the quarterback, even if the backup tackles are in, and they probably will be. But I think trying to bat some passes at the line where Hayward what Highsmith can excel is going to be important in this one. But you're right. Schematically, they're going to be the same outfit. Todd Monkett's not going to change things dramatically. It's going to look like the same team conceptually in terms of results, a different story. But I think they're a deep team. They're talented. The receivers are deep. Bateman's talented. They're tight ends, man. They Likely. Good Lord. Golly, where do they keep getting the tight ends from? Yeah, likely has four touchdowns in the five games that Mark Andrews has missed. And so he had that great one-handed snag on that fourth down play against Miami that you kind of referenced last week. So um, they got even your guy. Weren't you a Charlie Kolar fan coming at Iowa State? No, no, it was no. the other Charlie, Charlie Warner, the oh, Georgia Charlie kid Warner. with, with the in 49ers. No, don't give me credit for that one. Okay, all right, fair enough. But likely uh, making big plays for them, that's for sure. So there's still talent here. I do think if they're going to sit Stanley and Moses to left and right tack, respectively, obviously advantage for Highsmith and, and TJ Watt, especially Watt facing Daniel Thaw-Laley, the big right tackle, 370 pounds, whatever he's weighing in at now. Can Pittsburgh can, can Watt, you know, use those speed rushes to to win the edge. I imagine there's going to be some help and some chipping 
uh, Watts way. I want to see Highsmith have a big game. That that spin teams have figured out a spin move this year, and he's been able to sit on that a lot more. And so, can he be able to to work that on a Macari, uh, the backup left tackle, or can he just make some plays there? So, want to see that. But I do think trying to get your hands in passing lanes will be important for an offense likely to get the ball out pretty quickly, given given Huntley's style and given that they're going to be playing some backup linemen in this game. Uh, does jo- is Jonas pretty convinced that uh, that the Steers won't see the two top tackles? Uh, he was trending that way, and, and Zeitler's out. He even mentioned that Linderbaum may not play or may not play much in this game just because they want to make sure that, that he's healthy for the divisional game. So uh, it, it's hard to say for sure. He wasn't 100% on that, but likely they're going to see some limited or no action in this game, especially at tackle, especially Ronnie Stanley. All right. Uh, look, this is obviously because of the personnel uh, uh, aspect of it. <laughs> Uh, but you know, you got a guy in Huntley that's got some experience and all like that. You've got some quality guys like, like we talked about likely and, and, you know, I, I, I remember watching a lot of justice Hill tape, uh, back, uh, when he was, uh, in, in, in college as a, uh, offshoot of having to watch so much, uh, Mason Rudolph tape, right? I guess they were together. Was that them in, in Washington and those guys? All yeah. Part of the same yeah. Group? I mean, he is, you know, obviously he he's, he's an undersized back, but man, he can, he can, he can, he, if he gets out in the open field, he's a dangerous guy and they're not afraid to send him downfield as well too. So don't let that guy uh, uh, kill you in the run or pass game. Yeah, they always have speed at running back, whether it's been Dobbins and, and Mitchell. Unfortunately, those guys have gotten hurt over the, over the, the years, but uh, Hill still has that. Didn't Hill have a big game against Pittsburgh? Was it last year? Didn't Hill have? Didn't Hill go off? Or am I thinking of, of somebody else because they rotate these backs so often? Yeah, I'll have to uh, roll back. I don't remember specifically. You're talking about uh, the, 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 the later game last year? No, nah, I'm looking it up. It wasn't last year. Maybe I'm thinking of somebody else then. Uh, maybe I'm thinking of a Dobbins or something. When okay. Dobbins, I think, came back from an in- injury and just you know looked true to form immediately. But anyway, the run game is still effective because conceptually it's strong. You mentioned the pulling guards, the bash concepts, the back away type stuff, the quarterback run element. Um, how do you defend the quarterback run element? You know, obviously when you're trying to to, to account for them, you got to kind of be plus one in the box to to deal with that. There are some some schematic strategic issues trying to deal with the quarterback rushing element. Uh, how many explosive plays did they have last week? Seven and uh, seven or 20 yards or more. And only one of them was a uh, was a run. Yeah. And then even and, and that was and that was Justice Hill for 41. I'm sure you you came across there. Uh, but, uh, and look, I mean, make no mistake about it, though. Uh, Huntley is 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 not. Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson really played well in that game uh, against the Dolphins as well, too, stepping up and all like that. So uh, and if he if the goal is for him to they don't want to get him, obviously, in those third and long situations. And that's one area where the Steelers must uh, uh, do a good job of get him get him in situations where he might have to hold on to that football a little bit more. I tell you the what the, the thing that really stuck out to me in that Miami tape was uh, the, their ability to get players rubbed off, and and even early in the game too. I don't know what was it the first or second snap of the game. Uh, I think uh, the uh, the Dolphins I think had, had played like cover three on that situation, and he. 
Uh, Jackson missed a streaking, I think it was flowers down the right hand side. Uh, that that had the mailbox uh, hand up. So these these guys can get free on you, and obviously they they you know a couple of their top wide receivers aren't going to play in this game here. But uh, schematically, uh, especially with the misdirection of what they do in a run game and all like that, that it it, it it's still not going to be an easy chore overall. And it was one yard shy of qualifying for that explosive playlist. But Huntley threw a 19 yard touchdown to end that game down the seam. They ran a. 12 personnel, two by two formation, tight ends to one side, twin receiver set to the other and ran verticals by the tight ends. And Huntley hit that for 19 to, I think, likely or forget who who the target was on that play. So listen, Huntley can, Kohler, Kohler. Okay, yeah, Huntley can play. He's experienced. He knows Pittsburgh. He's not going to be faced. This is not facing, you know, the Browns sacrificial lamb in, in the final week. You know, the Thad Lewis's and Seneca Wallace's of the world from yesteryear. This is this is facing an accomplished quarterback with experience. Look. Put some respect on his name. Huntley's a pro bowler. <laughs> he was. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. That was. Yeah, the pro bowl gets so weird sometimes with the voting. But he was like, what, the fourth alternate? Or wasn't that the, the story with Huntley? Hey, he is a pro bowler, Alex. Put some All respect on same. his name. All the same there. And Lamar Jackson expressed confidence that he thinks that Huntley can go out there and get the job done. And, and he could. All right, flipping over to the defense, and you might see some more familiar faces here, at least in the front seven, although I think Roquan Smith, Patrick Queen will be either very limited or not play at all. In the secondary, likely to miss some top names, including Marlon Humphrey, Kyle Hamilton, etc. The D-line, though, I think will largely be intact in terms of dressing, snap counts, we'll see. To me, my, my main takeaway watching Baltimore is attack the middle of the field. Baltimore plays a ton of too high, a lot of cover too. I think Pat Frymuth would have a big day on Saturday. Yeah, good call. Uh, you you roll back to even just last week with what they did coverage wise. A lot of zone coverage mm-hmm. in that game against the Dolphins. Uh, you would think because of their personnel, try to uh, the, the the kiss method, keep it simple, stupid. Uh, I, I I foresee a lot of uh, uh, cover two zone in this. You know, yeah, so. Look- Miami had a ton of plays over the middle of the field of how they moved the ball. Right. So that, that, and, you know, we'll see how long, if any Roquan uh, and, 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 and queen play, if those guys do play any, if I'm Harbaugh, I'm, I'm getting them out of the game as soon as possible. Uh, you, you, the Steelers have got to go into this game, at least attempting to run heavy early. To yeah, open they, up, to open up that, you know, to maybe get a safety to come down or, or what have you. But, uh, I'm with you, Alex, uh, uh, middle of the field stuff should be, uh, available to them. Cover three, cover two beaters, uh, zone, uh, type stuff. And man, it would make life a lot easier if they're able to come out with a running game like they came out with, uh, uh, early against Seattle and had that kind of success and then force Baltimore into, to, to be an even that much more conservative uh, uh, effort to, 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 to stop the run. Yeah. They got to run the ball. There's no question about that. Um, that D line's still going to be, I think tough. I don't know exactly how much Matabuke and, and Pearson them are going to play, but it's well, the way tough he's to playing. I don't put him out there, man, the way he's playing, uh, this sure. year. Uh, but you know, once again, numbers might dictate, dictate that he has to play some snaps. Uh, it will, they ought to throw a parade the moment he, he leaves the game though. Right. But I mean, heck, talk about we know the, the big names, Humphrey, Hamilton, Smith. But how about Geno Stone, the, the Newcastle product? He's got seven interceptions this year. The last Raven to have more picks than Geno Stone was Ed Reed in 2010. I mean, we're talking about some crazy numbers from him. So they're, they're talented. And then schematically under Mike McDonald, 
I think you and I could play for Mike McDonald and make some plays out there. Uh, I mean, just you're, in terms you're giving of the, me too much credit. All right. I'll make some plays then because just schematically the pressure looks that Jonas talked about. I mean, that defense is just, you know, one of the, one of the better defenses we've seen. Now, again, they're going to miss some of their key guys, but when you have good scheme, you can make up for missing some of those key players. I mean, they, they play without half a secondary last week and, and, and mm-hmm. held Miami in check. So that really shows what they're able to do. Now they, now Miami didn't miss some plays in that game. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, point point taken. It's amazing when you look at how many sacks this team has. Fifty seven. It, it it I I've got them at fifty five. Is it fifty five? What I, I have fifty seven in my notes. But either way, it's a lot of sacks. Uh, Matabuke has thirteen of them. My God. Uh, Clowney has eight and a half. Van Noy. You remember we talked about Van Noy potentially being being a guy that we thought could could. Pot- you know, could land in uh, with the Steelers earlier in 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 the off season. There, he's uh, he's having a great season. Uh, uh, Owe has five of them there. Their inside linebackers getting in on it. Uh, Arthur Millette, who who had didn't he have one in the uh, first game against the Steelers off the edge? I believe so. Yes. Uh, so I mean, you you look at all the different players that have sacks for them, and it it kind of. I, I'm surprised they have uh, plain and simple. I'm surprised they have as many sacks as they do as a defense. They got more than the Steelers, I think. They lead the league in sacks, yeah. so yeah, they have more than anybody right now. And, and, and part of, part of it is scheme, um, and and they're doing it from two high looks, and they send some pressures on third down. But yeah, Matabuke's been he's got the most sacks by a Raven since Elvis Dumerville in 2014. So some really gaudy numbers they're putting up. Their run defense has not been great statistically. They're averaging four and a half yards per carry. But as Jonas talked about, it was some of the two high looks they play. But they buckle things down in tight. They've only allowed five rushing touchdowns this season. That's the fewest in football. If it stays at five. Through the Steelers game, it'll be the fewest a defense has allowed in terms of rushing touchdowns since Chicago in 2018. So there are some really gaudy numbers in terms of the interceptions they get. I think they're third in the league in, in, in interceptions. They're first in sacks. They're first in turnover differential. All those numbers, all those key metrics play in Baltimore's favor. It's why they're the one seed and right now probably the Super Bowl favorite. Uh, look, uh, we got to see a repeat from this offense from, from last week of staying out of those third and seven or more situations, stay ahead of the chains. Cause you don't want Mason back there having to sit in a pocket, uh, a dozen times, 13 times in this game, needing seven or more yards in situations where we'll have to hold the football, uh, regardless of who's on the field for, 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 for the Ravens, because they'll, they'll go after him. They'll know that he's not as mobile, uh, and they, they will dial it up even more in 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 obvious passing long situations. So it's so important for this uh, offense of the Steelers to stay ahead of the chains in this uh, game, especially early until maybe some of those other starters uh, get out of there. So uh, once again, I think it goes back to running the football early, as you mentioned. Uh, this could be a repeat of that uh, first meeting against the Bengals uh, with a guy like Pat Firemuth. There ought to be plenty of opportunities in the middle of the field uh, for him, especially if you get some two look too high looks, uh, uh, as you mentioned, and even some Tampa two guy, you know, where the linebackers have to run and 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 carry the middle of the field. So uh, that's where the Steelers need to hit. And obviously, if you get in those situations where you get uh, a single high look, or even you know, even some maybe some cover three uh, uh, situations there where you can look to the outside uh, to 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 go over the top to a guy like George Pickens. Yeah, those chances will be there, and you can count on Rudolph taking them. But yeah, if they're playing too high without Hamilton, without Smith and Queen, then you're going to get some good, you know, real estate 
opportunities for Frymuth and, and really attack those inside linebackers because Smith and Queen are the guys you stay away from, but their replacements are likely to be Trenton Simpson. The rookies played 20 defensive snaps this year and Delshawn Phillips, who's a core special teams guy, has played 34 defensive snaps. Test those guys, you know, work, work their eye discipline off of play action and motion and how they handle and, and communicate those types of things because they've not really had to do much of that this season. So um, I think I'm really going to try to stress and attack those off-ball linebackers. All right, good point. All right, any other thoughts here, Baltimore? I mean, Tucker, we kind of ragged on him a bit, but obviously he's still Justin Tucker and in, in a close game. You know, he gets within 60, he's got a chance to to make it. Yeah, there's uh, guaranteed points there uh, that that are going to happen in this game once they get past two, uh, uh, you know, a little past midfield there. So, uh, look, take your chances and let him have five or six field goals in a game if 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 if, if need be. Obviously, you don't want to see the total up that high, but you got to keep you got to keep the touchdowns limited in this game. Yeah, and Pittsburgh at least has the fifth best red zone defense this year. That's been one of their calling cards, despite struggling overall in a lot of situational football aspects. But, you know, I don't want to give away my score prediction. I still expect this game to be close. I don't think Pittsburgh's going to roll Baltimore, even with their backups in when Steelers Ravens, when they know each other this well, when Huntley has an experience against Pittsburgh. It's going to be typical Pittsburgh Baltimore. Close game, down to the wire, fourth quarter, final five minutes that's going to decide the winner of, of this contest. Look, if you get out to a little bit of a lead on these guys, you might get them being done with playing with their food, you know? In the sense of like yeah, pulling they, some of those guys? Or yeah, like, yeah, getting those guys out there even earlier. You know, because yeah. look, they, they, I mean, they, their thing, the Baltimore's uh, big gain out of out of this game is to come out healthy. <laughs> <laughs> it's the number one and the only goal. That's their win. You know, and if they get the the buy uh, an an extra uh, win of uh, beating the Steelers in, in 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 obviously a divisional game and potentially being the reason the Steelers don't make the playoffs, that's that that's that's extra credit right there. But uh, uh, man, if you could take those first couple of drives down the field and get you know fourteen or ten points and and the defense do their job early, they they might lose interest a little early in this one. Sure. And it's, I know this is probably overthinking and really not part of their calculation, but it's not like if Pittsburgh, it's not like if Baltimore beats Pittsburgh, the Steelers are eliminated right then and there. Right. You might have a different feel if that was the case. I, again, obviously you're going to diminish their chances if Pittsburgh loses, but it's a little different than like beat them and they go home immediately. So maybe there's a little, little less extra to play for from a rivalry perspective in this one. But I mean, you know, Baltimore does want to win because they've not beaten Pittsburgh in a while. So I, I it's, it's still a, a rivalry type game. And, and this backups are going to have a, an opportunity to play and they want to make some plays, you know, Ben Cleveland and, and Simpson and Phillips, these guys want to go out there and show what they can do because typically they don't get this kind of opportunity. Another interesting thing to this game that we should probably talk about. Let's go to Alex for the weather. Yeah, and I think they were initially calling for snow earlier this week, but it looks like it's going to turn towards this kind of a rainy. It's going to be, this is 2019 all over, Dave. This is going to be a rainy, kind of messy, windy mess that they're calling for, like an inch of rain and winds at 10 to 20 miles per hour. And so that's the forecast as of Friday. So 2019 was Baltimore one seat sitting there, guys. Pittsburgh needing a win and help. It rained. Pittsburgh did not get the help they needed, and they kind of you know flatlined in the second half. So. This is basically just a redo of 2019. How much? Uh, yeah, and, and obviously we went over the inactives, you know, from from that game and all like that and all. But uh, uh, 
wonder how that plays into some decisions to get some guys off a wet field and you True. know uh that, that 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 kind of thing that's a that's a great weather forecast you gave us alex thank you i'm that. the next joe DiNardo. um All that right. probably means nothing to you but it means to a lot to the the yinzers like me but that, that it's going to probably be harder to throw the football when it's rainy and, and messy and may diminish some of the raven speed a bit and help pittsburgh because they're defensively they're not that fast so those things may play in Pittsburgh's favor, but it's actually a really good point because it's going to be kind of a disgusting mess on Saturday. All right. All right, Dave, before we make our picks for the Steelers Ravens game and for the last time this regular season, our picks for week number 18, let's hear from our friends over at my bookie. All right, gear up sports fans, the national championship and NFL playoffs are here and it's time to get in on the action with my bookie. Don't just watch. Score big with exclusive boosted odds and huge prize contests that'll have you feeling the Super Bowl fever before it even hits. Whether you're a seasoned pro or ready to roll for the first time, my bookie is your ticket to turning your sports knowledge into cold, hard cash. My bookie has the largest online lineup of odds, contests, and Vegas style casino games, making it your ultimate destination for all type of fun 24 7 right at your fingertips if you've been waiting for the right time to get in on the action the wait is now over make your winning move today and sign up at my bookie use our promo code terrible to claim your deposit up to one thousand dollars that's right promo code terrible for an opportunity to boost your betting power experience the thrill of sports betting right from the comfort of your own home because with my bookie, you can bet anything, anytime, anywhere. Join my bookie today and be part of the winning team. And obviously, you can get to it by going to mybookie.ag. And please don't forget to use promo code TERRIBLE if you're a first-time sign-up player. All right, Dave, let's make our picks around the NFL. And then we'll finish things out with Steelers-Ravens. Even though it's the first game, we'll mm -hmm. hold them for last. All right, the Houston Texans uh, later uh, on Saturday night uh, playing on the road against the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, the Texans are one-point road favorites in this one. Now, uh, you can root for a tie in this one if you so uh, desire, but only if the Steelers beat the <laughs> uh, uh, beat. Beat, beat, beat the Ravens, I believe there. But uh, I think the, uh, I don't know, crazy stuff happens, right? But uh, regardless, uh, the Texans are one-point road favorites in this one. Yeah, maybe the weirdest playoff scenario of all is that a tie between Houston and Indianapolis could be either really good or really bad for Pittsburgh, depending on the scenarios. But if Pittsburgh beats Baltimore and these two teams tie, there's both the Colts and Texans, Pittsburgh gets in before Sunday even kicks off. So that's uh, one of those weird notes to, to mention for my pick. I've been on Houston all season. I think the Colts have done a great job under Shane Steich and, of course, blew out Pittsburgh. My heart says Houston. I'm going to go with the Colts. I'm going to say the Colts find a way. They found a way to get it done all season long. You know what? I'm leaning that way as well, too. I, I think uh, the Colts at home uh, in an uh, obvious big game for them, uh, the experience that they, uh, that they have at the quarterback position, uh, Houston has been hit by a couple of injuries, uh, as of late, uh, give me the Colts, uh, to, uh, to win this one outright. So I want that point. I think the Colts win this by three next up Detroit lions hosting Minnesota Vikings. The lions are three and a half point home favorites over the Vikings. 
Yeah, can Minnesota find a way to get in? I think they played so much quarterback roulette. I think they've really mismanaged that situation pretty poorly. Kevin O'Connell has. I will take Detroit. I'll take Detroit to cover that three and a half points as well, too. Cincinnati Bengals closing out their season at home against the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Browns obviously resting a lot of players in this game. Uh, The Bengals are seven-point home favorites. I told you before this year began that the Browns would rest <laughs> Joe Flacco in the finale. Wouldn't to get, believe to you. get him ready for the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> to get him ready for the playoffs. Uh, yeah, with all those guys rested, PJ Walker starting, I will take the Bengals. I'll take the Bengals to cover that seven points at home as well, too. The Carolina Panthers at home hosting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Buccaneers are four and a half point road favorites in this one. Yeah, I got to go Tampa, everything on the line here against Carolina, just with eyes towards the offseason. Baker seems healthy enough to play. Give me Tampa Bay. Yeah, I'll take Tampa. I'll go with you. Hold your hand on this one. Uh, I'll lay the four and a half points. Uh, Buccaneers on the road. The new, boy, a lot of dog games, and it's usually the case this time of Mm -hmm. year. New England Patriots at home hosting the New York Jets. The Patriots are one and a half point home favorites. Is this the last game? Bill Belichick is the head coach uh, of, 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 of the Patriots. That's a great question. You talk about, you know, this weekend, but Monday, all the coaching changes, you know, we probably expect Ron Rivera to be out. I don't know if we'll know Belichick's status by Monday, but probably within a week or so. I'll take Belichick in potentially this last game. I don't know if he's done for sure in in New England. I think he's definitely going to be coaching next year somewhere. But to send them out on a high note, regardless, I will take the Pats. All the reasons you just said is why I will take the Patriots to win this. Uh, I think they win it by uh, more than a field goal. So I will lay the point and a half there. Does Sala get fired after this game? Do you Who? think? Or do you think nah, Robert Sala? I, 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 think there, I think there's too many. I, I think they like him. And I think, you know, obviously losing your quarterback as early as they did and uh, but I mean, there have been some times uh, on defense where you kind of wonder what the hell they're doing, you know? Yeah, but, I mean, uh, they said he was coming back, but I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, I'll take the Patriots later points there. New Orleans Saints at home hosting the Atlanta Falcons. The Saints, uh, boy, that uh, that division's a mess once again, isn't it? The NFC mm-hmm. uh, South. Uh, Saints hosting the Falcons, favored by three. The Falcons are favored by three, or the Saints? You said the Saints. Saints, are favored by Saints, three. Saints at home, favored by three. I will take the Falcons in this one. I will take the Saints, lay the three points in that. Tennessee Titans, a game that uh, the Steelers fans will have interest in potentially here, hosting the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think it's still kind of up in the air about Trevor Lawrence at quarterback for the Jaguars. Even if he plays, he's not going to be 100%. Uh, Mike Vrabel got me uh, wanting to run through a wall when I heard his press conference the other day. Uh, Titans at home giving up three and a half points. Mm. The Jaguars are favored on the road by three and a half. I believe Lawrence is considered questionable for this game. I got to think he's going to play, at least try to go, um, given how much this game means to him and, and, and to that organization. I will take Jacksonville in the hopes of the reverse psychology of the Kazora jinx that Tennessee finds a way to win. So I will take Jacksonville in the hopes of being wrong. Go forgive Joe Nedney because they need <laughs> Pittsburgh needs Tennessee to, to come out on top in this one. Look, I don't. I, I just want to beat you. That's all I'm concerned about here. So uh, I made a comeback this year. Yeah, you have. Yeah, I think I had that one week where I went to just three. I think we had opposite. I only had like three wins, and you only had three losses. That was your comeback week a couple of weeks ago. There, mm-hmm. uh, 
I think Vrabel's going to have this the, the, this team ready, and with uh, uh, Lawrence, if they can get a good hit or two on 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 Trevor Lawrence, uh, you know, uh, I, I think the Titans win this one outright, Alex. So uh, okay. give, give me those three and a half points there. Arizona Cardinals hosting the Seattle Seahawks. Cardinals have played some, uh, so beaten some teams, you know, as of late here. But uh, even so, the Seahawks on the road favored by three points over the Cardinals. Seahawks need this and need some help, don't they? They need the game. I don't know their exact scenario, but I think after losing to Pittsburgh, yeah, there's going to be some help required in this one. Yeah, kudos to Jonathan Gannon and Murray and Arizona for taking down Philadelphia. I mean, they're skidding right now, but I will take Seattle. That offense just is, is too potent. I think Seattle's a, a pretty good team overall. Yeah, I, I think they bounce back here. I think Geno played a good game against the Steelers. I think they'll be ready for this one. I'll take the Seahawks later three points on the road. Kansas City Chiefs on the road against the Los Angeles Chargers. The Chiefs obviously going to rest some guys in this game. Chargers three and a half point home favorites. Against the Chiefs? The Chiefs, mm-hmm. I think they have nothing to play for in this game, right? They're locked into the three right, seat, right. I want to say. So as Mahomes is sitting, I assume right. then, right? Um, Easton Stick versus back up in Kansas City. I'll take the Chiefs just schematically. They find a way, but it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I'll take the Chiefs to, uh, I think the Chiefs win this one outright. So I'll take the three and a half points in that. The Washington Commanders close out their season at home against the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys are favored by 13 in this one. It's a big line. I will stick with the Cowboys, though. I think the Cowboys win this. I think Washington covers. Give me those 13 points. The Raiders at home against the Denver Broncos. And the Raiders are two and a half point home favorites to close out their season against the Broncos. Yeah. A Denver win would help Pittsburgh in a loss against Baltimore. So I will put my hopes in Denver and say they get the win. I think the Raiders cover this at home. I'll lay the two and a half points. New York Giants at home against the Eagles. The Eagles have, whew, who are the Eagles right now? Uh, they are laying five and a half points on the road against the Giants. Yeah, it's a big Philadelphia freak out at the moment. I think they will at least right the ship for this final game. Give me Philadelphia. I've been thinking they're going to bounce back for several weeks now. I think this is the, finally the week. I will lay the five and a half points along with you. The 49ers at home against the Rams. Rams have been playing uh, pretty decent as of late here for sure. Uh, the, the 49ers at home laying four points. Um, I'll go with the Rams in this one. Be a little different. I'll go with the 49ers to win this one at home. I'll lay the four points here. Green Bay Packers at home against the Chicago Bears. The Packers are laying three points. What's it? What are the playoff scenarios of anything for Green Bay in this one? I know Chicago is out. What does this game mean for Green Bay? I hadn't taken a look at, at their situation. Oh, I'll have to look here real quick. Are they, are they out or are they? No, they're still in. Yeah. I think they need some help. They need some help. I'll go with uh, with Green Bay having just more motivation in this game. Uh, let's see here. Let me pull up where Green Bay is. Green Bay is currently the seventh seed, so okay. uh, they need to definitely win that to uh, to to uh, to to stay in in the picture. There, uh, I'm with you. I, I Green Bay needs this game. Uh, more, uh, I will take Green Bay later three points. All right, the uh, the last game on the 2023 regular season schedule. Miami Dolphins are hosting the Buffalo Bills. Dolphins are a pretty banged up team overall. Uh, the winner of this game wins the East, right? Yes. 
All right. And if Buffalo loses, they could actually go from having a chance from uh, uh, winning the division to not being in the playoffs. Uh, the Dolphins are at home. The Bills are favored by two and a half points. The Steeler fans will potentially be rooting for a, depending on how the earlier games all go, hoping for a Dolphins win. Will they get it? It's funny, Dave. Last year, you're rooting for the Dolphins to lose to the Jets, and then this year, you're going to be rooting for them to beat Buffalo. Yeah, Buffalo could be the two seed, or they could miss the playoffs. I mean, that's kind of the craziness. And although there's a path for Pittsburgh to get the six seed, I think if both Buffalo and Jacksonville loses, Pittsburgh wins, most likely Pittsburgh will be the seven. And right now, the only two teams that can be the two seed are the Bills and the Dolphins. So if Pittsburgh is the seven seed, they're either going to be going to Buffalo or to Miami for a wild card weekend. Just a kind of a quick heads up there. A long winded way to get to my prediction, which will be Buffalo gets the win. You know what? I think uh, the explosive play aspect of, of Miami, uh, uh, I think they th- this ought to be a fun game to watch. I'll tell you that. Uh, mm-hmm. I will take Miami to win this one outright. So give me the two and a half points here. Uh, that circles us all the way back to the first game of week 18. The Baltimore Ravens hosting the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, the Steelers are three-point road favorites in this one. What say you? Yeah, I just know with Baltimore resting all their guys, I still expect this to be close because it's Steelers-Ravens. It's almost always close, and you kind of throw some of the the records and personnel things out. Um, and I do think, you know, Baltimore still has talent and great coaching, but all of that is to say that I think Pittsburgh will have success running the ball with the way this offense has, ha- has found a spark and just defensively that front seven should be able to handle, especially if Baltimore is going to be sitting up to three or four of their starting offense alignment in this game. That's going to be enough for Pittsburgh's front, Hayward, Watt, et cetera, to, to make some play. So I got Pittsburgh winning this one 24 to 20. Okay. I don't have it as close, but I do have the Steelers winning in this one. I expect the Steelers to come out ready uh, to play uh, uh, this one here for sure. Uh, obviously, the advantage with uh, who's sitting with the Ravens there. Uh, I think the Ravens will still have some success on offense overall, probably punching in a couple of times. I think the Steelers uh, pull away a little bit in the second half here, maybe with a late field goal to punctuate things. The number five uh, has been in my head all week when it comes to a Steelers point margin win. I expect them to win by five, then trying to figure out the score from there. 22-17. How does Pittsburgh get to 22? You always love the the funky numbers in those those 20s high teams. I don't know. A safety? safety? How about a safety in this one? Another killer root punt, punt block, perhaps something, know. something like that. Uh, I love those weird scores. I love those. Uh, I, I look shame, plain and simple. Shame on the Steelers if they don't win this game. Yeah, it's set up perfectly for them. They're they're going to be playing against Baltimore's backups in this one. Um, Pittsburgh, they, they need this game in a lot. I mean, they don't need it. It's not an elimination, but they really, of course, would rather win it than lose it. Uh, it they're playing good ball right now. If it's if they can't. They, they don't make this one. They don't deserve the help that they could still get to get into the postseason. Agreed. All right. So those are our selections. We'll be back on Monday to talk about this game, uh, whatever happens on Saturday. And once the dust settles from the playoff picture on Sunday, let's get to a couple of reader emails, Dave, to close out today's show. All right. Uh, let's see here from Chris Cordova. 
What do you guys make of the excuse Tomlin gave about why it took so long to give Mason a chance? It seems like Tomlin always talks about not living in his fears or scared money, but it seems that nothing ever changes until this team has nothing to lose and their back, backs against the wall. Uh, it seems like this is when Tomlin steps out of his comfort zone and loses a conservative mid-set. Uh, the aggressive mindset, uh, he misspelled it here. This aggressive approach we are seeing now is what I would like to see in 2024 from the start. I mean, it almost seems like everything Tomlin says they are doing, living in the fears, scared money, etc., is what they actually are doing. Well, at least until the last two weeks. Thanks guys. Happy new year from Chris. Uh, look, uh, Mitch, Mitch forced that decision. Mitch Trubisky forced that decision. And because of what they're paying, uh, I think Merrill Hodge made a great point on the radio yesterday or day before about uh, the reason reason Mitch was number two is because of what they were paying him. And, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to argue with that. Should it be that way? Uh, it boils down to this. Mitch was playing lousy and, you know, I wrote about it before, you know, after, after Kenny went down that those next mm-hmm. two games were going to be very crucial you know, obviously not only to the Steelers, but uh, uh, crucial to 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 what Mitch Trubisky's future would be with this team uh, past 2023. And he he did not, you know, uh, he did not play well. And he left Tomlin no, uh, you know, Tomlin had no choice but to go to Mason, you know. So right. uh, had had Mitch just played mid without those turnovers, would Mitch have remained the quarterback we'll never know but uh the fact that he was turning that football over is what cost mitch trubisky uh plain and simple uh there uh so you know get getting into the uh living in your fears look they they signed and i wrote about this as well too the reason they signed and gave mitch the money that they gave him is because when they got into situations god forbid that they needed their backup quarterback to come in they expect him more times than not to produce some results and get a couple of wins in there he did not do that that forced the hand and and that's why it took so long to get to 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 mason so uh you could make the argument that he should have pulled Mitch maybe earlier in that game against what the Colts. Uh, uh, well, there's a Patriots game at halftime. I think right. when the conversation first began. Okay. Uh, so, uh, do you do you want to de- do you want to say you know it was a it was a it was a full game too late? Yeah, I I, I could go with that. But I mean, this team was going to roll with Mitch. Is there? backup quarterback until he gave them enough reason not to. You're right, which is what happened. And your post ended up being on the money in terms of what well, these I, I, I was. Yeah, I mean, it was more. I, I, oh, but I, it was I, open ended, but it was like it was right, determining his future. Right. Good or bad. Right. right. I, I'm not going to try to pat myself on the back and say that that I predicted him not, you know, sure to, to, to crap the bed. You know, but I, I think it was pretty clear and evident. I mean, you, and you're looking ahead pa- at his contract past this season. It was a big couple of games for him. Yeah, you weren't saying he was going to fail. You just said it's going to determine his future. If he goes out there and excels, okay, then he's locked in. He's going to be your number two next year and for the future. If he struggles, then we're talking about moving on. You just you left it open-ended, but but you were right. It, it, right. I, it carried a ton of weight and obviously went in the wrong direction for Trubisky. In terms of why he didn't play, listen, I think Rudolph should have at least started against the Colts. I think Tomlin made a, uh, at least a one-week-too-long mistake 
to to make the switch there. And you're right, he played him because he had to. He had no other choice by the time that Bengals game rolled around. But I think the three reasons are, yeah, the money, obviously you're getting paid that kind of money to get the backup. We're going to play you. Um, B, Tomlin did not have confidence in Rudolph because he hadn't played in so long. He didn't know what he were going to get from him. And so I think that was a something basically Tomlin had said as well. He just really didn't know what kind of rust he had not playing since 2021. And then I think maybe a, a smaller point, Tomlin didn't want to seem so flighty on who his quarterback was of, you know, the way the Vikings are going through quarterbacks each week and just kind of going to, to a different guy. I think Tomlin wanted to have the illusion of stability, even though it hurt them more than it helped of, okay, I'm not going to just start jumping from quarterback to quarterback week to week. I think he wanted to try to see things through that's some of that loyalty and stubbornness that can be a, an asset and a fault, more of a fault in this case. But I think that played a role in why he wanted to try to give Trubisky every opportunity until he just had no choice but to turn to Mason Rudolph. Agreed. All right, uh, Danny Porter, and this one, uh, I think we talked a lot about this in the other show uh, in, on, on Wednesday. Dave and Alex, based on his performance, Nick Herbig definitely deserves more snaps. Why do you think the Steelers have not used uh, him in sub-package like they did with, uh, when with, with, when Dupree, Watt, and Ingram were playing? I think it would be a great option on third and long downs and get him on the field more. Uh, look, I, I, we talked about this a lot uh, the other day. We have, have had a couple of questions about it. Uh, a, you got to get in, in more of those uh, uh, obvious passing down situations. And I, I, look, they want him to concentrate on being an edge. And I think that was very evident out of this shoot with him. Uh, now, can you get him on the field a, 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 as an edge guy and then take a guy like either High Smith or, or, or Watt to move him around to get a favorable matchup? Sure, you 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 could potentially do that. But, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the core is the, the, the main issue is here is trying to figure out how to get Herbig on the field with more snaps. Now, could they potentially do that? Well, somebody's got to come off the field in in certain situations. And once again, I, I think you're only going to do that more in second and third and long situations. So that that limits the amount of times you're probably going to do it anyway. I mean, I, I nobody understands the talk about Nick Herbig getting more on the field than us. And I know there's a lot of calls for him to play inside linebacker. I don't even think inside linebackers on the table for him right now. I think as we talked about the other day, you could, the talk will and should be, how do we maybe get Nick Herbig on the field as, as along with uh, Watt and Highsmith, maybe a little more in 2024. Right. And some of that may include off ball linebacker, but it's not going to happen right now mid season, just asking too much out of rookie. Um, if I remember correctly, some of those three outside linebacker packages, they were less sub package, unless you're just kind of referring to anything other than their base three four sub, but it was more like early down type stuff where they were really had three down linemen and they just would sub out an inside backer for uh, an outside linebacker or safety or something like that. It was less so third and long kind of packages where they would employ. Maybe they did some of that. If I'm, I'd have to go back and check my charting. They, they but, probably didn't as much, but I say it seems to stick in my head that it did happen. Yeah, um, I am surprised they haven't at least explored some of that stuff, even in early down situations of three outside linebackers. Especially given all the inside linebacker injuries, you would think they would try to mess with that a little bit. So that is maybe a, a, a bit surprising overall. But listen, when you're playing behind, you know, Watt and Highsmith, your snaps are going to be limited. There's no question about that. I do think. In uh, the Colts and the Bengals game, they were rotating much better. I mean, Herbig and Golden were playing double-digit snaps. When the Seattle game, you know, 
Seattle barely had the football. They ran 49 plays. There really weren't many chances to rotate and sub guys out. So I'm good with that. But we'll see. It'll be a topic of conversation in the offseason. And if Golden does leave in the offseason, um, then Herbig probably becomes the clear number three at both spots. And his snap count is going to go up based off of that alone. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that's obviously a conversation. We're, we're going to keep the questions are still going to come up about that. And we'll see what happens with Golden. And uh, uh, look, uh, in, in a game like this against Baltimore, how many snaps will Herbig play in this one? I don't know. Probably ceiling, barring somebody gets hurt, six or seven, I would think. Yeah, that, that sounds right. Uh, let's see where to go to from here in the email machine. Uh, Brett Nile, Mason Rudolph's recent performance has generated a lot of questions, but I'm wondering if it has also generated at least one answer. Can we now definitely say that signing Trubisky was a mistake? I don't think either of you were on board with the signing originally. And to me, it's now obvious uh, that it was probably a panic move. At best, it was a misevaluation. Uh, in the end, you would have been better to just keep Rudolph as your starter going into the into the offseason, signed a Josh Dobbs type, drafted a quarterback, uh, in this case, Pickett, and use that money, Trubisky's contract, to plug a hole uh, somewhere else, uh, say safety. Thoughts on that? Uh, look, I mean, neither one of us were throwing uh, throwing a parade uh, on, on the Mitch Trubisky signing. It was understandable of, from, from the standpoint of where the franchise was uh, at, at the time. I remember scoffing a lot about the talk about Mitch. Remember all the reports, Mitch Trubisky worked 22 million mm-hmm. and and me scoffing at that saying no way this is a guy that played 33 snaps the the, the, the season before uh for the bills and uh all like that i mean uh yeah his his contract had had uh 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 you know, incentives, right. some, some incentives in there, but as at its base value, it wasn't a killer at core value, uh, when it came to that. And, you know, the, the, the big thing, and it was a thing that I kind of wondered going, you know, last this past off season was, did he even play well enough? I mean, you, you could have made a good argument. And I think I did to some degree that, you know, because of his contract, you could have seen Mitch out the door last year. Now, what they ended up doing, and make no mistake about it, we talked about this uh, as well, was they forced him into that extension to lower his cap number. He didn't receive any new new money uh, uh, in regards to that. So, basically, they paid him his 2023 money, uh, most of it in form of a signing bonus uh, to help low, and then just tacked on two extra years. But it was up to him to earn those two additional years, meaning 2024 and 2025. And at this point, he he has not uh, at this point. So uh, it, it's easy to sit here after the fact it, from what we've seen specifically from Trubisky uh, uh, at this point of this year and say, man, what a horrible decision. They should have just given paid, paid Mason a little bit more than minimum and brought him back specifically this offseason and been done with it. Uh, here, but, uh, you know, it, it's easy to look at this at this point of this season now and say, man, what a God, God awful decision it was, uh, to, to sign it Trubisky initially. Yeah. I mean, it was always meant to be short term. And I imagine that was Pittsburgh's plan considering they drafted Kenny Pickett, you know, a month and a half after signing Trubisky. Um, I was not a fan of the signing initially. I wanted other veteran 
free agent quarterbacks, Jacoby Brissett, Teddy yeah, Bridgewater. Brissett, yeah. Yeah, I think Bridgewater higher, but I think Brissett had to fit with Canada and both would have been better. Um, ultimately, as you said, it is what it is. Not going to go over spilt milk too much. Uh, the more important question is who's the quarterback of the future for the Pittsburgh Steelers? Who's, who's their starting quarterback? And that is still unclear. And that is more concerning and more of a discussion point than Trubisky. But yeah, I think they, they just... I don't know. Just, I mean, I, I, I like Trubisky, good guy, just not a good fit for this offense, but they have to be too reckless, too over-aggressive, and does not mesh well with how this team is built to win right now. Maybe some other teams where you have to score shootouts, your defense isn't as good, you have better weapons, Trubisky might work, not going to work in Pittsburgh. Uh, from Brandon on Kenny Pickett, uh, I respect Jerry Dulac, but I'm not there to rubber stamp Kenny Pickett, Pickett as the starter and Mason Rudolph as the backup for next year. I find such 2024 options as Russell Wilson is ridiculous. First, let the team get through week 18 and if there's more ahead. So be it. However, this benching doesn't speak well for Kenny Pickett's future in Pittsburgh, whether Mason comes back or not. And a couple of new faces are in the quarterback room. They simply can not hand him the starting spot uh, sign slash draft a legitimate option. If Kenny loses at that time, so be it. But for today, he's not starting. And that's a very bad sign. Uh, Brandon writes here. Uh, look, uh, Jerry Dulac in so many words is pretty much. What do you say specifically about uh, Rudolph and Pickett? He said Rudolph will come back, or at least Pittsburgh wants to bring Rudolph back as the number two, and the picket will be the, the quarterback to start 2024. Look, I'm not – we're going to write and talk about it a ton with the oh, yeah. with the Russell Wilson, uh, uh, Kirk, Kirk Cousins, Cousins, Justin Fields. Justin Fields. Who else is going to get thrown into that mix? I mean, the draft uh, prospects, obviously, right. we talked about. Uh, from where I sit right here today, uh, other than us writing and talking about it, uh, I don't see any of those things happening. Now, maybe, maybe the qu- a quarterback gets drafted at some point here. Uh, but other than that, I it's, it's going to take a lot in the next several months to get me to this point where I think the Steelers would go out and do something with a Russell Wilson or a cousins or either or trading for a fields or something like that. I, I just don't see it and I can't help, but go back and people are going to get, I might get it tattooed on me anyway, because I brought it up uh, so much, uh, even dating back to, to early this season, Mike Tomlin's comments on Kenny Pickett and football justice uh, just have me thinking that they they they're going to try it again with him at least to start off the 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 2024 season. But was benching Kenny Pickett for Mason Rudolph in Week 18? Mike Tomlin oh, thought when he said football justice. Yeah, I, I look. He's he's got four. He he had he has no he has no choice to be in the in the uh, with the decision that he's made right now. Sure, I'm just saying a lot right. has changed since, since Tomlin made those comments. You know, um, listen, I, I don't know what's going to happen. As you said, Dave, we're going to spend literally the next five months talking about the same conversation over sure. and over again. So, not looking forward to that in, in particular. I, I will say to the idea, and maybe it does happen, but the idea that Rudolph gets signed to be the clear backup to Pickett, talk about an awkward situation. The first moment Pickett stumbles. There's going to be immediate calls to replace him with Rudolph. So how do you sign Rudolph to probably some decent money at the least to be the backup to Pickett? A, would Rudolph want that? And B, I mean, 
you're setting yourself up for at some point having those calls to make a change internally, externally be really loud. So I don't know. It feels like a it feels like being best friends with your ex while dating your current girlfriend and all living together. And it just feels like, yeah, maybe it could work, but it's gonna be really awkward to do to make it work. Yeah, there, there then there's the money aspect of it, especially if Mason goes out and wins this game and uh, against the Ravens and ends on a high note. And regardless of the Steelers getting the playoffs or not, you know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> he's going to, his resume is going to look a lot better going into this off season. Uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of quite, once again, like you said, if, if he, if he ends up, if you end up re-signing him for more than 5 million, you're probably doing so with the idea that he's going to be the starting quarterback. I mean, you could try to, I mean, backups get paid decently now at this point, but I mean, e- even if Rudolph is the clear backup to start the year, the first interception Kenny Pickett throws, the first loss Pittsburgh has, that pressure is always going to be on to make a change. And and how do you deal with that? Is that even good and, and healthy for Pickett and for the organization? I don't know. It gives me some pause. Like, and I've not thought about it in depth because I'm focused on the here and now. There's a whole off season for us to discuss all those things, and we will but I just I can see where that conversation is going to go if that Dulac scenario plays out. Uh you're you're in the same boat with me. You 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 would find it very surprising if a guy like Wilson or Cousins or Justin Fields is uh, from where we sit right now in Pittsburgh in 2024. Probably, I would say I'm less strongly surprised by it than you. Again, I had not spent a time. I want to see how Rudolph finishes the year. Like that's going to be part of the conversation. What if just hypothetically, like Rudolph gets you to the AFC title game and something like that happens. I mean, this conversation can still, you know, shift in a lot of ways. Um, Wilson. No, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. Fields, as you kind of laid out contractually would be, would be tougher to do, but he'll be on the block. So we'll see. I could see a cousins. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm more open to it than you probably but still, I guess as of this moment, I'm still going to make the assumption Kenny Pickett will be the starter week one of 2024. But yeah, and that was going to be my next question. If you had to hedge right now of who would be the week one 2024 uh, starter for the Steelers, you you know, you you would think most of the money would be on Pickett, right? I think so, but I might be a little less certain than you are, and certainly less certain than Jerry Dulac seems to be right now. Uh, I just can't get away from Mike Tomlin and that football justice. Now, a lot of things have obviously changed uh, since all that. But how do you go back to Pickett next year? Let's yeah. say Rudolph is re-signed. How do you go back to Pickett when you've benched the guy for Rudolph? And if Rudolph plays well in this game, and let's say they don't they don't get the hope they need, and that's just how the season ends, how do you justify that As if you're Mike Tomlin? Look, from what we've seen right now, you uh, unless Pickett gets into any of these games and blows blows the doors out, there's no way that you can go into next season saying, you know what, uh, we, we can guarantee Kenny Pickett's going to be the starter for this team for 17 games. So what, what does that mean? It means you damn sure better do a better job of having somebody you think can come in and win some games. And who is that guy right now? We both expect Mitch to be gone. Uh, and he, if he's not, he's not somebody I think can win you some gains at this point. Right. Uh, uh, Mason, what's his market going to be? And would he come back for X amount to, to not be guaranteed a job? Right. Could he go try to compete somewhere for some team that has nothing a quarterback? Potentially, if he plays well against against the, the Ravens, then that, that seems to be an option, a possibility. And look, it, it goes back to what we've we've said here in these last recent couple of shows. It's it, there's a lot of uncertainty with the Steelers and the quarterback room moving past this season as we sit here today. 
Yeah. And that's why I'm hedging as much as I am because A, I'm focused on the here and now. And B, there really is, it's as muddied as ever in their quarterback you know, situation right now. So I think it's hard to give any vote of confidence to anything as we sit here today. Right. Uh, let's see here. If I got one more, what constitutes a sack? Alex, as always, thanks for all you do. You're the best in the biz. I have a question and comment today. I'll start with the question. When a team runs a play with a direct snap to the running back or any player other than the quarterback, and that player is stopped behind the line of scrimmage, is that considered a sack? No. Uh, first, that, That's an easy, easy question to answer uh, right away. Uh, when Seattle ran such a play and bobbled the snap, it got me thinking that would that would that tack what would that tackle be called uh and if it's not considered a sack can you surmise why not it doesn't seem like you should discriminate between the two positions as they both directly receive the ball from center and a running back is free to run handoff or throw the ball just as a quarterback is and if a sack is limited to the quarterback position if a running back receives the ball directly and then hands off to the quarterback he stopped behind the line would that be a sack? It doesn't seem like it should be. Anyways, thanks. Uh, this is a curiosity itch that I've had since the game. Since the game, and a Google search hasn't done me much good. I thought you guys could could shine some light on it. Look, you have seen. It's all about intent of the play. Mm-hmm. Right. No, that's hundred percent what it is. A wildcat run is different than a quarterback, even though they both received the ball initially. Uh, the intent is, are the receivers running routes? Are, are the linemen getting downfield? If they are, then it's declaring kind of a run play. Are they pass setting or run setting? So those are how those things are scored. Um, and there's also the aborted snap stuff that happened against Baltimore and uh, in, in Watts' 22 and a half sack season that doesn't go down as a sack. It goes down as an aborted snap kind of fumble situation. Although, I mean, if, if it is like, say, a, a trick play and a running back tries to pass, if he gets tackled, That's that, a sack. That, that is a sack, right? Okay. Right, right. Um, uh, but, if, you, if you look, there have been... And there are every year mm-hmm. sacks on running backs and wide receivers, you know. Right. But but you, you said the key word, Dave, intent. What is intent. the intent of the play? Is it a pass or a run? That's how you determine a sack or not. Right. And if there's any question about intent, I would think on a play, I don't know this for sure. I think you would default to run, you know, basically. And, and like, obviously, any abort situation. I guess there could be some gray area on abort aborted snap type situations but even even so those are generally described as aborted snaps and i well that happened to watt and and suddenly uh in in 2021 it was it was the aborted snap and watt we thought it was a sack and they called it uh, an aborted snap fumble right so uh Dan, that's a good question. I know there are probably people out there sit, sitting out there uh, wondering uh, uh, about that. But I, I think at, at its core, uh, you boil it down to what was the original intent of the play. Uh, now, if a if you have one of those trick plays where it's either a double pass or, or the wide receiver gets the ball or the running back gets the ball and goes over uh, to the side uh, of, of the field and then, uh, uh, then, then pressure – uh, he then he tries to scramble with the football. I think still the intent there was that to be a pass play. So if he does not make it past the line of scrimmage, it would be a sack in that that instance. So I think you look at plays like that. What was what was there a clear and obvious intent on the play to be run pass, and then you score it off of that? 
Right. Yeah. Good point there. Uh, just kind of popped in my head. We should have mentioned it earlier. Uh, we're kind of squeezing this in late, but the referee, we mentioned the referee in this yeah, game. Yeah. Brad yeah. Yeah. We mentioned it. Yeah. We did that last show. Okay. Yeah. Brad Allen calling this game. Probably much ado, but much ado about nothing. Probably will be called fine, but uh, noting that again for, for this game. All right. Real quick. One more from, from, we'll get to one part of Bryce here uh, for this rematch. If you're Terrell Austin, who does Joey Porter Jr. Follow uh, Beckham. If he plays or Zay flowers, if he plays and why uh, look for, for first and foremost, it, it, I'll be surprised if Fla- isn't flowers, the doubtful one. Yes. Flowers is doubtful. And Beckham out. is he, he's out, right? He's, he's out. Yeah. Uh, for rest, but yeah, he's not right. Uh, and as we talked earlier in the show here, I don't know if you get so, I mean, there, there are probably maybe an instance or two where Joey Porter Jr. would travel, but I, I just, I, Bryce, I think you're going to see a lot of zone in this from the Steelers personally. Yeah. I mean, I think Bateman's talented. I mean, you could switch and- sides with your corners and, and, and play the zone that way, obviously, but I don't think you're going to be so intent on unless the the few man situations, if there's one guy that you, you would, you would have that you concern yourself with Joey Porter jr. Following, right? Yeah. Maybe some formational stuff. I don't know. Probably less traveling than, you know, Jamar chase, Mari Cooper, Hopkins, those types of things. Maybe some three by one looks. You may have uh Porter take the backside X receiver, lock him up and kind of hopefully take that side of the field away and, and zone up the trip side, maybe more formational than it may be personnel. So we'll see, but yeah, I imagine much less, true traveling than past games. Uh, his other question here real quick is about the uh, style of play. Could Shannon Sullivan be a candidate to play more safety next year? If the Steelers find a better cover corner to play nickel. Now I think you see Shannon Sullivan, what he does and does best uh, right now. And he's had a nice couple of games as of late on top of it. Uh, I, I, it would, if you get to the point where you're talking about Shannon Sullivan playing Sullivan, I mean, pl- uh, playing safety. Uh, play safety. I, 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 you could go other directions. Yeah, that's not going to happen. He's a slot corner, so not not going to be an option. All right. Uh, any anything else uh, we want to get to, Alex? Any, any late breaking news coming in? Or anything? I here? do two things, not sports related, Uh-oh. but I'll, I'll squeeze in some random stuff. Uh, reportedly, um, and I say this mostly with my tongue in cheek. Nine foot alien spotted in Miami. So I'm going to be going down that rabbit hole immediately after this episode okay. uh, is concluding. And then some sad news here probably means a little bit more to, to you and the older generation. Uh, actor David Soul, who played Hutch in Starsky, Starsky and, Hutch. and Hutch. I saw that yeah, this morning. Passed away at the age of 80, which is some very sad news. There Were you a fan of uh, it? feels like your kind of show growing up. Uh, I wasn't a, growing up. I wasn't a uh, huge. I mean, I obviously remember the show Starsky and Hutch growing up, mm-hmm. but I wasn't. Uh, I just remember that uh, Red Grand Torino. Uh, mostly in that. And I remember uh, people always making fun the way they would always kind of run to the run to the car and do that slide over the the hood to get Mm. into, uh, you know, uh, we got to get in the car as fast as we can. And the quickest way is for for me to uh, get to the passenger side by go by sliding on the hood. (laughs) Uh, I I, kind of remember that, I think, uh, as uh, uh, something related to Starsky and Hutch, but uh, I wasn't a huge uh, Starsky and Hutch fan. No. All right. Well, go find out about these nine foot aliens. They we're gonna go. We're gonna do some research and come back very strongly on Monday and, and figure this thing out. Me and you. I guess the the biggest thing to take away from 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 that with David Soul is, uh, man, I've gotten old because he was like eighty, right? He was eighty years old. Yes. All right. So, uh, man. Uh, time gets away from you there. All right. Uh, 
We watched a little bit of Die Hard was on last night when we were hey. laying, laying in bed there. Is it the, the first one? Uh, the first one. Uh, okay. uh, uh, the scene there where uh, uh, Hans Booby. You know, where he's, where, uh, I'm the, your white knight. Yeah, uh, that that scene and probably the 10 minutes before that scene and the, the 10 minutes after where he drops the uh, what the C uh, the C4 down down the shaft, the, the elevator shaft and mm-hmm. all like that. So yeah. Uh, uh, I thought I thought about you last night. Uh, and I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't sleep very well last night, but uh, uh, I thought about you last night by, by watching that segment of that movie, which is not old, a Christmas movie. It is a way. Christmas movie, but good old Nakatomi Plaza. We'll finish it tonight and then we'll uh, we'll talk about it more. We'll talk about that. And you're ignoring the aliens, Dave. There's nine foot aliens walking around Miami. Come on. We got to talk about my, this. My, you want you could have some good conversation with my wife because uh, and look, uh, living out here in Las Vegas as well, too. Uh, I don't discount that there's that, that there's other life out there i don't yeah that, well of course there is and the mass use I mean, are they here is the question are they walking among uh, us if if they're not walking among us i think they've been here before Ooh, okay you know right. i i i and my wife really thinks they're here you know uh have been here and potentially uh among us in the air now so uh you could have some good conversations with her on that all right uh enough of the uh, x files <laughs> here uh with uh Steeders depot uh we'll let you know that we will be back on monday who knows what we're going to be talking about there <laughs> maybe we're talking about Steeders in the playoffs maybe we're already get the off season underway there uh in the meantime you can follow me on twitter Twitter at Steeders Depot. Follow Alex at Alex underscore Kazora. Follow the show at Terrible Podcast. Email the show, the Terrible Podcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do and want to donate to the cause, SteedersDepot.com. Hit the donate button upright navigational bar. Also, if you like an ad free version of the site, SteedersDepot.com. Hit the ad free button upright navigational bar. Uh, until Monday, as always, thanks for listening to the Terrible Podcast with Dave and Alex.